Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. If an American president loses more Americans over the course of six weeks than died in the entirety of the Vietnam War, does he deserve to be reelected? So, yeah, we've lost a lot of people. But if you look at what original projections were, 2.2 million, we're probably heading to 60,000, 70,000. It's far too many. One person is too many for this. And I think we've made a lot of really good decisions. The big decision was closing the border or doing the ban, people coming in from China, obviously, other than American citizens, which had to come in, can't say you can't come in, you can't come back to your country. I think we've made a lot of good decisions. I think that Mike Pence and the task force have uh, done a fantastic job. I think that everybody working on the ventilators, uh, you see what we've done there, have done unbelievable. The press doesn't talk about ventilators anymore. They just don't want to talk about them, and that's okay. The reason they don't want to talk, that was a subject that nobody would get off of. They don't want to talk about them. Uh, we're in the same position on testing. We are lapping the world on testing. And the world is coming to us, as I said. They're coming to us saying, what are you doing? How do you do it? We're helping them. So, uh, no, I think we've done a great job. And uh, one person, I will say this, one person is too many. Thank you all very much. Thank you. Thank you. Why did Maryland have to go to South Korea to get 500,000 tests? And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It's the 29th of April, year of our Lord, 2020. And I just labeled that, our media is broken. That's some fucking bullshit we read off a couple podcasts ago from like Vox or some far left site. That's the media. She is being just loved right now. She is a rock star. Her, Reed, Alcinder, they're all trying to play Acosta. Ask the most fucked up question. We will hail you on Twitter. You will be a Yaz queen. That came from the bulwark, supposed conservative site, Charles Sykes. COVID-19 is this generation's Vietnam. The bulwark scene in this light, the most damning aspects of Vietnam War wasn't the Cavs account, as bad as it was, and it wasn't the mission. However misunderstood it has become over the decades, the idea of containing communism expansion might have been imprudent or poorly executed, but it was not crazy. And they're equating it to the amount of deaths. Now, we've had SARS, MERS. We've been down this road. H1N1 has taken so many lives. Nobody ever, rightly, said, hey, it's Obama's fault. Nobody would have done that. But here's Don, John Meacham on MSNBC, my dog's smarter than Trump. It's, to me, it's impossible to see, it's very unlikely to see how this story changes of Trump being willfully obtuse, and now so narcissistically engaged in his own drama that he's failing to do what what my Springer Spaniels know we should do, which is launch a Marshall Plan for testing to actually reopen the economy 
and regain uh, the sense of, of an American ethos of being together. So well, it seems to me that with your his, history is... Yeah. We can confirm that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah, we can just disrespect whoever we want. And then, and then you had a Breibart person were in there, and, and this is literally journalist. Good Lord, Breibart and owner peppered in for some softball racism, holding the people of Republic of China accountable. Racism, apparently. Breibart, a propaganda asinine racist question about China is so reprehensible. This is complete propaganda. Breibart just lobbed a softball about China. Yes, they were somehow there and called on. I'm sure it was just a coincidence got planned in a pre-planned question trying to make Trump look good. I guess it must have been Owns Day Off because it was Breibart turn to throw him a how-do-we-punish China question. Notable that many 40% of the White House correspondents now, or at least the ones get to answer questions, are from ringer wingnut orgs like Breitbart and OWN. Yet every time a journalist, and I did air quote, ask a question, it's a ringer question for the left. Have you killed more people than Vietnam, President? Should you be reelected? Is it? Other t- replies. So Newsmax and Breibart, what other dear leader sycophants are throwing softballs and asking White House? Sorry about that. I just got a huge leg cramp. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, stretch it out. White House approved questions. Shut it down. Shut the whole fucking thing down. Then later on, holy shit, an actual question from the press corps. Press corps. See, that's how bad it is on the left. You must ask liberally biased questions. Because our media has turned into this. Reporter finds these protesters unpopular and unpatriotic. I'm not saying we shouldn't give the protesters any attention, but we need to put them in context. This is not a popular groundswell, but at least as the moment, a vocal small minority. The poll shows, though, that these protesters represent an incredibly small sliver of all state residents. The vast majority are united in their support for social distancing measures to protect the health. This was, you know, Jeremy Jeremy Peters. Once again, far-right conservative. Nearly all white. You understand the resistance is a small percentage of the country, yet they gobble up almost half the airtime on CNN. And while they're doing this, anger goes global. Anti-lockdown protests erupt in Canada, France, and Germany, and our media didn't cover it. Because people are sick of the fascism. They're just sick of it. And because Kentucky was one of the first, we have an elected federal judge. This is what he said. I, too, am sick and tired of subsidizing Kentucky after being called out for training this outrage on Kentucky citizens rather than Mitch McConnell. Bahara doubled down. That's right. Preet. Bahara, that was a judge. Subsidize? 
I'm a magnanimous as ever, but if Kentucky's most powerful politicians will callously deny New York is the direst hour of need, then there needs to be severe calibration. Severe. The entire world went just crazy. Some were. I'm not. I love the bluegrass state. It's where I made lifelong friends. It's where I fell in love for the first time. It's where people still live, dream, and work despite Cole Barron's best attempt to shatter lives. I'm always ready to fight for someone I don't know. The logic of sanctions punishing the poor again. The outcome you want from their leaders extended to the domestic setting. The logical conclusion of hawkish liberalism. When I wake to find Kentucky making up for a lost NCAA season by dunking on Preet Bharara. But why should we be surprised? Why? This, I don't know how I didn't see it. It just came out. Interesting that Nancy Pelosi and her cast of misfits, midgets, are in full force trying to blame real Donald Trump for the handling of the Chinese Wuhan virus, but no one is casting blame towards China. And he tweeted a picture. Media meets with Nancy Pelosi the night before the State of the Union. Every major anchor you see on TV every night is at a table She's at the head of the table, and it just looks like collusion. I will bet you sure as dog shit she told them she was going to rip up the speech. Or even worse, they gave them the idea. Question it? Let's go to Brian Seltzer. Reliable source Brian Seltzer has been known to host this source as reliable as Michael Avani, Dan Rather, and others on a regular basis. But the show also has a newsletter that's equally credible. And we've been covering a lot lately because it's just magic. Magic bias. The topic on hand in one section of Money's newsletter is President Trump's sanity. And the expert quoted included actor Brian Cranston. Tom Elliott, CNN's Brian Seltzer quotes Breaking Bad actor Brian Cranston to support his contentious Trump is mentally insane section. Carl Bernstein on CNN, the question for the press and all Americans and the senators and congressmen is needs to be raised is, are we at the mercy of a delusional, unstable president? Actor Brian Cranston on Twitter, I've stopped worrying about the president's sanity. He's not sane, and the realization of his illness doesn't fit me, fill me with anger, but with profound sadness. What I would now worry about is the sanity of anyone who can still support his deeply troubled man to lead the country. The party of science. They bring on Sean fucking Penn. Brian Cranson. And it was supposed to be my first soundbite today. He literally came on to defend how the media has covered the pandemic. To the left, they haven't been propagandistic enough and outright just do articles every 10 seconds that Trump made the virus, went around New York coughing on people, and he's the reason everybody's dying. We're all learning what it's like to live in the time of coronavirus. We are all adapting, adjusting, trying to figure out what the months ahead will be like. Keyword there, months, could even be years. If only we could get certain politicians and media personalities to realize this pandemic is not about them. It's about a collective fight, a fight based on medicine, not magical thinking. 
It's about those we've lost and what we're losing and what we can try to keep. So would someone please tell the president? Because his administration's top experts say this virus will be with us for many months to come, through the fall, next winter, until whenever there is a vaccine. And yet the president is tweeting like it's already over, saying every person needing a ventilator got one in the past tense when new patients are being hooked up to life support every single hour. And it's not just the president. His vice president is saying, quote, I think by Memorial Day weekend, we will largely have this coronavirus epidemic behind us. That is not what the experts say. They are contradicting what their own government experts say. As Dr. Fauci said recently, I'm convinced the virus will be here, will be across America in the fall. So should we in the press even spend time on those quotes from the president and the VP if they're misinformed? Well, yes, because the public needs to be able to evaluate the distance between their words and reality. So how should we do this in context? Here's what I mean. Last weekend, as the death toll in the United States topped 40,000 due to COVID-19, President Trump called Nancy Pelosi dumb. As the death toll rounded the corner toward 45,000, he lied about his approval rating. As the death toll was about to top 50,000, he talked about injecting disinfectants. 50,000 dead, and he claimed he was just pranking the media. 51,000 dead, and he attacked CNN's owner. 52,000 dead, and he tweeted about world wrestling. 53,000 dead, and he tweeted, don't believe the fake news. Rounding, we're on the brink now of 54,000 dead. And he's attacking the media, and he's attacking dumb Democrats, and he's tweeting about world wrestlers. We have to report this. Even though it's insane, we have to fact check what he's doing, even though it's disturbing. Because here's why. Because poll after poll says that most Americans don't trust what President Trump says, but some people do. Tens of millions of people do say they trust him. What he says and what he tweets matters to them, and it reflects on America all around the world. So it's not about whether to cover what the White House is saying. It's about how to do it. And by the way, this applies to governors and others, too. We should put politicians' words in context all the time. And right now, I think some of the crucial context is the death toll. I mean, look around. So many people are showing leadership right now. So many companies are making plans for the long term. They're finding ways to honor heroes, lighting buildings up in blue, paying tributes to victims, trying to show empathy. Newspapers are printing special, sadly needed obituary sections. They are adding reporters to write more obits of all the people that have passed away. People's Facebook feeds, mine and yours, are full of tributes to lost loved ones. And yet the president keeps tweeting about ratings and dumb Democrats. That's news. It's a sad, but it's news. The Washington Post did something smart. They analyzed three weeks of White House briefings and found that the president spent a lot more time boasting than empathizing. You know, the Post study is remarkable. It's on the homepage of the Washington Post right now. They found that the president spent little time talking about the victims of COVID-19 and lots of time portraying himself as the victim of a biased press. So... Let's just talk about why it matters what he says, even though most Americans don't trust him. It matters because of, well, look at what happened two months ago today. Here's what he said two months ago today.
when you have 15 people and the 15 within a couple of days is going to be down to close to zero, uh, that's a pretty good job we've done. But, uh, we're going down, not up. We're going very substantially down, not up. That's why the president's statements are newsworthy, because he was saying that stuff two months ago. He was downplaying the virus. He was misleading the public. And now, two months later, we need to make sure people remember. We know what happened then and what may happen next. The president's statements matter. Even though many of you say we shouldn't air the briefings, the briefings shouldn't be seen, the president's statements matter because they show his wellness, his competence, or his lack thereof. Let me put it this way. When a grandparent is not well, the entire family feels it. The entire family shares the pain. Thousands of families know what that's like right now. And the American family is experiencing it too. When someone's not well, when a leader is not well, we all feel it. Yet in this, the president has really powerful enablers in the media. And I think we need to make sure we don't overlook this part of the story. This is a screen grab from Sean Hannity's show back at the end of February, February 27th. Hannity went on there with this big graphic proudly displaying the fact that zero people in the United States had died from coronavirus. Now, Sean doesn't use this graphic anymore. He doesn't put this up on screen anymore. So we've taken the liberty of updating it for him. And there's the current count. 53,934 Americans confirmed to have died from the coronavirus, according to Johns Hopkins University. The true death toll, of course, even higher uh, and very, very hard to know. So I think the news coverage needs to center not on Trump, not on Hannity, but on those citizens, those who have passed, and also these citizens. The more than 26 million people who are unemployed right now, again, the true number, even greater, but that's the official toll uh, number as of earlier this week. You know, this story is happening on multiple levels. We have to focus on who uh, has died, cover who has been lost, but, but also note who is still here, the people that are fighting, the people that are fighting this battle. How do we win the health war? And how do we win the economic war? And where do we find leadership to do that? It is almost unbelievable how lack of, just lack of fucking self our media has. They truly believe they're the barons of free speech, and they're totally objective. Nothing they do is not objective. And I stare at it and just go, dude, you live so much in a bubble. When there's a snowstorm in Portland, Oregon, it's not national news. If there's too much rain in New York, they cover it like it's news that we all want to know about. Because all they care about is New York. That's their world. That's it. I mean, this is a soundbite of Pelosi with rule over on MSNBC. Followed by a soundbite of Pelosi telling Tapper to calm down. This is how Democrats are treated by our journalistic betters who are the objective news media that we need to listen to. $60 billion, will they get to go first when the portal opens up again? Will they get to go before the big banks to make sure the money goes to the small borrowers? Well, this is, uh, it's like two different funds. And the secretary has been very, um, uh, working very hard in my view. When I talk to him about it, he's, we're working on working it so that these, uh, these portals or whatever are for that community. So it's not a question of going fast. The 250 is all is already going to the PPP 
this is ad- additional and, and specific to that community, but also uh, 60, $50 billion in idle loans, the emergency uh, injury loans. And that is, uh, uh, that is $50 billion leveraged to over $300 billion in loans. And that is a very popular program. No matter how big you are or how small you are, people like the long-term low interest and the immediacy of getting that. So that was a very important part of this as well. And that's, that's um, uh, no, an SBA loan. So that, that goes fast. And then we have the grants that every small business uh, can apply to, uh, apply for. But uh, you have said it very clearly, we, whether it's the restaurants, the hospitality industry, there's some that just aren't a fit, and we have to see why. Is it number of employees? Is it length of time? Uh, is it uh, in terms of nonprofits, the 501c3, 4, 6? Uh, let's see how we can expand this, because we could actually, with the combination of all of these things, be reaching maybe 90-some percent of the small businesses in America, and that would be a wonderful thing because, again, the entrepreneurship, the vitality, the courage, the optimism to start a small business, and then people have them for a number of years, and then just you see their hopes just fade because of something so beyond uh, their control. So uh, make no mistake, this is central. That's why we made it the centerpiece of the first uh, uh, of the first distribution of funds uh, into the business community. We also had a big program uh, for those aerospace industry, airline industry, uh, which, uh, again, in order to keep people on the job, uh, they, they uh, received, uh, the secretary has the discretion to spend a great deal of money there, but we don't want to see any of that money squandered on anything other than job retention, because that is what the point of all of this is. And that's how people are going to be able to spend in the economy, have consumer confidence, be able to meet the needs of their families. As we deal with the suffering that is going with us, the lives, the livelihood, economic livelihood, so important, as well as the life of our democracy. So in this next bill, we will be supporting uh, uh, vote by mail in a very important way. We think it's a health issue at this point, and I didn't want to leave the, this conversation without mentioning the importance of the life, the livelihood, the life of our people, the livelihood of, of themselves and our economy, and the life of our democracy. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for this additional $320 billion. American business needs it. I appreciate all that everyone in our government is doing right now to help us in this trying time. Thanks for your time this morning. Well, thank you for your um, object uh, uh, view of it all, because that's all very helpful. It's all very helpful. Thank you so much for your attention to this important issue. Thank you. Thanks. Have a great morning. Yeah, but I just want to play for you the sound from New York Governor Cuomo because he said he needs money for his state to save New York from an economic tsunami. Uh, take a listen to what he had to say. We've been talking about funding for state and local governments, and it was not in the bill that the House is going to pass today. They said, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry, the next bill. I said to my colleagues in Washington, I would have insisted that state and local funding was in this current bill. Because I don't believe they want to fund state and local governments. So Cuomo says he would have insisted on state funding uh, in the last bill. 
you, you, and now Senator McConnell is saying he wants to push the pause button. Uh, was this a tactical mistake by you and Senator Schumer? Just calm down. We will have state and local, and we will have it in a very significant way. Uh, it's no use going on to what might have I mean, Nancy even sounds kind of surprised. That she, Thank you for being objective. And could a Republican go on TV and tell Jake Tapper to calm down and he'd allow them to do that? Would they? I mean, she was allowed to go on TV and say this. Uh, so rather than spending time talking about the president's saying we should inject uh, Lysol in our lungs, uh, and he makes a big fuss about my having ice cream in my freezer. That's his latest today, his most current today. <laughs> she has Lysol in her freezer. Uh, I guess he'd rather have, uh, I have ice cream in my freezer. I guess that's better than having Lysol in somebody's lungs, as he is suggesting. But again, enough of him. That's just enough of him. Mm-hmm. It's not worth it. Uh, to just dwell on him. We have to go for it, and the Republicans will have to make their own decision. Uh, I, I can just imagine what John McCain uh, would be saying now, that great American <laughs> patriot who was treated so uh, disrespectfully by this president. Enough about him. The day this man was inaugurated, and once again, I'm not a Trumper. I'm a media basher. The day the man was inaugurated... There was so much protest on one side that that's all the media fucking covered. They were burning shit down, barricading, fucking trashing shit. And there was the Women's March. Well, people said they were going to blow up the White House. BLM was there saying hateful shit. The media covered it like it's the greatest thing ever. They instantaneously minced words over the largest crowd bullshit when it could have just been President Trump embellished the crowds today. That went on for a fucking week. They did fucking articles about they didn't know where the light switches were. Two scoops of ice cream. And then we continually allowed the left to say he said all Mexicans are murder and rapists. Those people are good people that killed the lady at the fucking racist protest. Everybody there was a racist. Um, they went on to say, he said it was a hoax. Uh, the, the whole virus that he said to ingest Lysol. We've done elections over Sandra Flukes, a slut. Best, por- best form of birth control is a fucking aspirin between your knees. Every Republican was held accountable. They have not asked. You didn't hear anybody ask about Biden. I got a Sunday show one. They never talk about Tara Reid. They they don't ask that question. But when Trump grabbed the pussy, everybody had an answer for it. And then here we got Brooke Baldwin coming back at CNN. Guess why she had to come back. Hi there. I'm Brooke Baldwin, and you are watching CNN. And boy, am I glad to be back. (sighs) Let me start with a thank you. Thank you for sending me so much love and prayers. COVID-19 gave me a beating physically and mentally for two weeks, and then I took the third just to recoup. Severe body aches, fever, chills, and just ask my husband, a lot of tears. I never knew when it would end. It was relentless and scary and lonely. 
But I was one of the lucky ones. Thousands of people are sitting in hospitals right now suffering. I made the trek to Central Park over the weekend for the first time since the quarantine began. And in the middle of this glorious park, I'd reported on it, but I wanted to see it with my own eyes, the tents erected as a makeshift hospital. I mean, just imagine on one side of this sunny field, there are families biking by, and on the other, people are fighting for their lives. It took my breath away, and I turned to my husband and I said, I hope we never see this again. Some of you right now have a loved one in a hospital battling coronavirus. Some may not have made it home. And I offer you my deepest condolences. And to the nurses and the doctors and staff on the front lines, God bless you. My heart goes out to especially those of you who have fallen ill while doing your job, or those of you who have had to see your beloved colleagues become your patients on the other side of the curtain. And to our nation's scientists who work in the world of facts, we need you. Thank you. So many unknowns when it comes to this virus. When does this end? Will there be a second wave, as the CDC director predicts, in the fall? With 26.5 million Americans having lost their jobs in the past five weeks, many are rightfully wondering, how will I provide for my family on the other side? So many inequities in our society have been illuminated by this virus. So much joy has been suddenly sucked out of our lives. Social gatherings, concerts, sporting events, canceled. It can be overwhelming. So what are we supposed to take from this? I thought a lot about this while I was sick. And I was listening to a lot of Brene Brown while I was recovering. If you don't know who she is, she's the scientific researcher in Texas, known for her wildly popular TEDx talk and books about vulnerability and courage. Brene was profiled in the New York Times over the weekend as her wisdom has come in handy during this uncertain time. And she said, quote, a crisis highlights all of our fault lines. We can pretend that we have nothing to learn or we can take this opportunity to own the truth and make a better future for ourselves and others. She's right. We need to do something about the rapidly rising unemployment rate and the communities of color who are disproportionately affected by this. And we need to examine why so many people are just feeling so lonely. Brene also said, quote, we tend to be our worst selves when we're afraid. So we have to be intentional about choosing kindness and generosity. Kindness and generosity. Let's extend it to those who are disproportionately affected by coronavirus. Let's extend it to those who deliver our mail, stock our groceries, collect our garbage. Let's extend it to our families, our friends, and yes, even our adversaries. I'll just close with this. You know, getting sick was awful, but hearing from thousands of you. Sharing your kindness and generosity with me through texts and emails and a lot of DMs on Instagram was the biggest gift I unexpectedly received these last few weeks. And it showed me how, even when the world stops and takes a collective breath, we are all capable of showing up for one another. I am so moved by the millions of you who have been willing to sacrifice so much in these last few weeks, all for the safety of your fellow Americans. I know it's tough, and it still is. When the world reopens for good, let's remember these more challenging times and remind ourselves we have the power 
to take care of one another. So let me get this straight. Stephanopoulos has gotten it, and he's walked around and been caught walking around with no mask and been challenged by people, and it made only local papers in the New York area. Cuomo infected his entire fucking family, assaulted verbally a goddamn bicyclist when he asked, what the fuck are you doing in the Hamptons? They aired it as he was Lazarus rising from the fucking dead. Brooke Baldwin got it. Yeah, yeah, the, the, the media's done a great job. While we all sit here and eat spam, worried about our mortgages, our kids couldn't complete their schooling, um, airline industries are about to fucking tank. Watch the show today. They're fucked, man. Nobody's flying. Uh, you're calling every, sorry about that, every fucking person who goes to a protest, a fucking racist, a white supremacist, and your followers, because you only care about what your followers say, um, they want us all to melt down our swastikas to pay other people for um, getting the coronavirus. You're running articles that every time there's a protest, there's more cases in an area without any fucking truth or validity. You're saying that we cannot open up, that Virginia has the best plan to wait two fucking years to fully open up, and you ignore Tara Reid. All of you just do whatever you want. You go outside when you want. I mean, Jimmy Fallon has been more of an example than anybody in our media. He walks with a mask. They don't put it on when they're talking, but if somebody comes by, they slap it on. And he lives in the middle of fucking nowhere. As much as I've said this is all bullshit, the numbers are bullshit, everything about this is reeks of bullshit. And that every time they do a fucking test, it's clearly obvious more of us had it. So technically the whole fucking death rate is fucking, it's what everything is in our media, made up. It's just made up to push a narrative, and that narrative is we're all going to die because Trump's to blame for it. He gave you COVID. That's your narrative. None of it's real. But we're living by it. I procured a hundred fucking masks. hundred. Took forever to get them, but I got them. And as all, all you keep saying, we need to bow down to New York. Cuomo is the greatest fucking man ever. There's proof on Twitter of people going in and saying they have a cough and blah, 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 and not even being tested, but counted as COVID because you've made it a financial boon for hospitals to have these cases. Now I don't even believe the numbers. 1,036,417 as of uh, 8.52 a.m., 29 April, 2020. 59,000 deaths. 59,284. Don't believe any of them because you're counting everything as deaths. And then you take Massachusetts, New York, and New Jersey, and that's almost 500,000 cases but the south 
piece of shit in Kentucky reopening. There's an article about Iowa who in South Dakota who never did any lockdown. But their people don't have a lot of cases. I mean, let me see. Iowa yesterday had like 5,000 cases maybe. Let's see, let's see, let's see, let's see. Um, sorry, I had to fucking scroll through this. South Dakota. South Dakota has 2,300 cases. They never locked down. Iowa, 6,376 cases. But there's articles everywhere. They didn't lock down. They're pieces of shit. They're horrible. New York, 301,450. New Jersey, 113,856. Massachusetts, 58,302. Illinois, 48,102. California, 46,445. Pennsylvania, 45,016. Michigan, 39,236. Then, you get some red states. Florida, 32,800. Louisiana, 27,286. Texas, 26,171. But Connecticut has 26,132. And that's a teeny state. Georgia, 25,000. Maryland, 20,000. Ohio, 16,000. Indiana, 16,000. Virginia, 14,000. But we're never opening. Colorado has 14,316 fucking cases. They were reopening just like Georgia. You didn't say shit. It was crickets. Straight up crickets. You didn't say a word. We didn't have whole articles about how Kentucky is killing their people. We didn't have that. But yeah. Yeah, you've done a great job, Brian Seltzer. We've now equated it to a Vietnam War that all of you didn't support, and you threw shit on soldiers during it. Yeah. Great job. Ben Dominic roasts Wapo over hot take on how to take a mental vacation from coronavirus. Listen to this. It just, once again, it keeps compounding. These people live in a different world because they're rich. With so many people in the United States living in areas that are under some sort of stay-at-home directive, taking a mental break from all that's going on is crucial. And that's where the Washington Post comes in. The key to escaping lockdown, sleep in your guest room and pretend it's a trip. Ben Dominic, oh yeah, why have America's not thought of this? Kathleen Kelly, perfect elitism bubble beach. He then goes, Ben Dominic, straight on him. Bored with your lockdown till June 10th? Why not sleep in the carriage house? It's a real grind to face such limitations. If you consider camping on your 11th green, your valet porch may not have the width, but in pitch, role play, you're slumming it. It's surprisingly easy to have a moderately sized luxe smoking tent installed in the tennis court. Pretend you're Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger. This mechanical horse is dual use. Freshen up your marriage with some steamy lady Godiva role play and train for your upcoming dressage competition. Mackenzie suggested we bundle up an Arcteryx and run the AC in the garage to the max. I was tempted to dive from the divine heated seats in the rover, but instead did my best impression of all the characters from the 
terror. We were bored out of our skulls until Jean Baptiste noted that we can make men out of snow. Record a thorough podcast about the disappearance of the leftover crab cake. You're a serial now. Be sure to download the Frontline Narration app. It's only 99 cents. I was going to read it. I'm not reading it. This is so lost from reality. But every week, they have an article like this. NBC News Chief says journalism's under attack. Ken Dillian, NBC News Chief Andy Lack, journalism's under attack from Trump, but we're winning. The president put the bully in the bully pulpit, but he hasn't taken the soul of the First Amendment. Sean Davis, is that the same Andy Lack whose media company spiked negative stories about Harvey Weinstein? (laughs) I do believe it was the same Andy Lack who covered up for Matt Lauer's decade-long sexual misconduct. NBC is a shell of itself, and the Roberts family really should do something about their leadership. How do Harvey Weinstein and Matt Lauer journalists are literally the biggest enemy of the First Amendment? Article they put out, Internet speech will never go back to normal. In the debate over freedom versus control of the global network, China was largely correct and the U.S. was wrong. A whole article for you shouldn't be able to say shit unless we approve of it. And, of course, Ronan Farrow's NBC News producer, exec Andy Lack, Noah Oppenheim, personally in a need to kill the Weinstein investigation. Other articles. An extinction-level event for news. Talking points memos making our COVID-19 coverage free for all, blah, 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 blah. And then it goes on a whole crisis that this is done to newsrooms. Well, let's look at what the newsrooms are doing. Paper, because that's what they're talking about. New York Times praises uologist and comforter Bill Clinton versus Trump detonating his grenades. Mr. Clinton performed his role of uologist and comforter, won bipartisan praise for his performance and increase of goodwill that would eventually help write his presidency on a path to re-election. Really? Well, this is what him, Hillary, and the governor of California were talking about. Tracing agents in the hundreds and hundreds of people, right? You take the test and then you trace back all the contacts. It's never been done on this scale before. This is an army of tracers, the basically investigators. Uh, we will do that the best we can with these, uh, with a seven-state consortium. But it could have been done from the federal government on a much tighter, more efficient basis. You know, I agree with you on this. This contact tracing is very important, and it could enable our entire country, for the first time, to have a real public health system, a real public health core. And uh, I've thought about it in a lot of different ways. Could we could we make this a part of AmeriCorps and encourage people to come and do this work and earn some credits to go to college, for example? Uh, is there some other way we could do it? But I, I know that uh, my friend, uh, whom you know well, Paul Farmer, uh, is heading up a program for Massachusetts now to try to get a state contact tracing core. Do you think maybe you could get uh, the governors to ask the Congress to fund that as a part of all this money they're giving you? Or maybe it's legal now to spend some of the money, but we need a national 
core of healthy people who are properly trying to go out and do this contact tracing. We need the bodies. And it seemed to us as though no sort of systematic or um, concerted efforts around contact tracing were taking place in Massachusetts. So um, the governor here, Governor Baker, um, invited us to be part of a consortium um, and to offer some of the insights and experience we've had in other countries in hiring and training a, um, a group, really a, um, a, a whole cadre of community health workers um, or contact tracers, rather. I can't help but say community health workers. And they would be um, uh, virtually trained. They are being virtually uh, trained and deployed right now. What we would do with this is that we would, this virtual group of contact tracers um, would contact anybody who has tested positive to learn about their recent activities, um, who they may have been in contact with, and ensure that they can take steps to make sure that they can stay healthy and not spread the virus any further. So the partnership essentially is building on infrastructure that already exists in a place like Massachusetts. Um, and it needs to be part of a whole, um, whole system. So that includes you know, ramping up testing. It includes providing uh, really dignified isolation and treatment that, of everyone who's sick. And it's ensuring that people can be quarantined um, and at times separated in a very supportive um, way. We had something like 7,000 people, 9,000 people apply within the first couple of days to be contact tracers so that we can actually use people who are out of place, um, out of work rather, um, who can be trained, even lay people, um, to do this work. It felt like a good, good thing for the economy also. But one of the things that you have to be able to do is to track people who are positive. Where were they? Who were they in contact with? How can you hem up any recurrence of this? Uh, Massachusetts has recently announced that they're going to try to build a statewide tracking program, and they've asked partners in health to run it for them. And they're one of my partners in the work we've done in Africa, Haiti, and other places. But where are we going to get all these contact tracers? Uh, should we have, like, should, like you did with the, California did with the Conservation Corps of Young People, should we have a contract tracer corps, even if we call it something more elegant? Should we yeah. really build the first public health network we've ever really built in this country around this issue? Uh, I think the answer is absolutely yes, and, and I, I love the Massachusetts example. We were able to learn uh, from them. We're all sharing best practices in real time. Uh, but this is an interesting point that's often not brought up. Uh, we have tracing capacity that predates COVID-19. It goes back to SARS, measles, TB, uh, et cetera, tracking and tracing capacity that exists in the county levels primarily uh, and increasing capacity at the state level. So what we're doing is we're building off that existing infrastructure and using the tools of technology to overlay. In addition to that, we're using AmeriCorps specifically. Uh, and thank you as a champion for AmeriCorps uh, for decades. Uh, we've been able to take advantage of that workforce, obviously our conservation uh, core. What we have now is called Cal Volunteers in the spirit of Sarge Shriver. Uh, we are asking people, thousands of folks, to be part of this new core, to get trained and to help us with the tracing because you're absolutely right. The predicate for getting back to some semblance of normalcy 
is our ability to identify individuals through testing, to be able to trace their contacts, to isolate individuals uh, that have uh, either uh, been exposed or quarantined people that are tested positive. And that's just going to require an army of folks and the capacity of consideration from individuals to allow uh, for their privacy uh, to be impacted by that kind of acuity of attention based upon where they've been and who they talked to. And the capacity of consideration from individuals to allow uh, for their privacy uh, to be impacted by that kind of acuity of attention based upon where they've been and who they talked to. And at the moment, in most parts of the world, <clears throat> due to lockdown, most of the transmission that's actually happening in many countries now is happening in the household, at family level. In some senses, transmission has been taken off the streets and pushed back into family units. Now we need to go and look in families to find those people who may be sick and remove them and isolate them in a, in a safe and dignified manner. Contact tracing. That's right. They want to put something on you, have people follow you wherever you go, so that if you have the virus, they know where the virus went. That's some big brother shit. That is some crazy ass fucking moon bat, you got to be shitting me shit. You want to track people. That That's what you want to do. Contact tracing. If some Republicans were sitting in a room having a conversation like this, sources with NBC News say that the GOP wants to follow you around with contact tracing. That's right, contact tracing. They want to be wherever you are in a total violation of your First Amendment rights and about every other fucking amendment I could come up with at this point in time. What the fuck is wrong with these people? But, but once again, they are the people we're supposed to be following. They're the people we're supposed to be listening to. They're the smartest people. They believe in science. They're the party of science, except when it comes to what a male and a female is. They're a little confused on that. But you need to follow these people. If you're not following these people, if you do not listen to what they say, you're un-American. You don't want to go forward, a forward progressive country. While there's an eco-level fucking extinction of news, Politico fake story about Trump owes tens of million China bank collapses. Debacle for New York Times story on an ousted HHS director crumbles quickly. Because it never was a real story. It was bullshit. And worst of all, now the party of science liberals... Because Brinks won't spend their time bashing Trump, they want Brinks gone. Okay. Another, as we move through these phases. 
Dr. Burst, help me understand what happened with the suggestion that the president made that the task force study uh, disinfected injections. You said he was digesting information at the time when that came out of his mouth. Um, do you have any more information, and are you concerned that that people might take bleach because of what the president said? I think I made it very clear and how I interpreted that. I also made it very clear and so has Dr. Fauci and everyone associated with the task force and their clarity around this is not a treatment. What was missed and really I'm hoping the American people understand the reason why that study was important that DA, that Department of Homeland Security did was when we came and saw what MIT talked about as viral particles moving through the air. It was really important to figure out in the outside conditions, is there anything that decreases the half-life of that virus? And I think I was reassured right. personally to see what impact sunlight has on the virus and the viral half-life. Right. That should be encouraging to all of us. We should still social distance. We should still wear those masks to protect others as we work through this yeah. epidemic. But I think it's really important to see that sunlight, direct sunlight, may actually be able right. to kill the virus. Uh are you concerned your the credibility of the scientists on the task force get undermined when the president now with bleach obviously you can't do that and hydroxychloroquine where the FDA to put out a statement I mean is this undermining the credibility of you and Dr. Fauci and other scientists I think all of us are very clear and very clear in our discussions with the American people how we're looking and utilizing data to drive decision making within the task force. Every day about 2.30 in the morning I get every single piece of data coming in from every county where we triangulate where is the virus moving, how are people responding to the virus, are we considering absolutely everything to protect American people and triangulating that data to come up with that day's work. Where should PPE go? Where should we be really talking with governors about a recent outbreak? How do we protect individuals that are in essential services? This is the discussion of the task force. And the physicians and the, the individuals involved in the task force are every day focused on what's the most recent scientific yeah. evidence and I think what really the American people should understand is in the guidelines that the NIH recently published really helpful were put up this week to really talk about how to clinically approach this but we've had really critical data that has come to the forefront over the last few days about how this virus is interacting with people in the United States and I think that's really critical we need to constantly be focusing on what we're learning to save more lives and to make our our treatment more effective. Dr. Burks, uh, I have to leave it there. I appreciate you coming on uh, and sharing the administration's view. Uh, We've seen dangerous, toxic advice coming from the White House. And unfortunately, I think uh, that the credibility of the scientists really now is on the line, that they have to decide whether to stay inside and be valuable or whether or not they have right. to see another alternative like Jim Mattis and quit. Because when Dr. Burks said to you today, uh, that sunlight does kill the virus. She is perpetuating an unscientific, untested, single study presented by a non-scientist from the Department of Homeland Security, which led to the president, as she put it, not fully digesting the data. She needed to be very clear on disavowing it. And to this point, she still has not been even this morning.
Dr. Gupta, are you worried that Dr. Burks is um, letting her credibility get sort of sucked into the Trump vortex? We're running out of words to describe this era. Republicans in Congress and in the Trump administration know that not only is the president failing to rise to this moment to, for example, get the nation on a path to widespread testing, the president's now making open ponderings about treatments that experts worry could actually harm people. His a-scientific, anti-scientific musings have been dangerous. We saw this with his weeks of downplaying the virus. Two months ago today, the president said he'd done a good job since the U.S. had only 15 cases, which would soon go down to almost zero. Then the president was pushing the use of hydroxychloroquine. What have you got to lose, he said. Well, the FDA on Friday issued a caution against the use of that drug outside a hospital or a clinical trial due to the risk of heart rhythm problems. Republican leaders need to acknowledge the reality of the situation. They need to intervene. They need to convince President Trump to defer to the experts and focus on the needs of not his ego, but the sick and the dying and the people trying to care for them. There is going to be a history of this era written, and those who are pretending this irresponsibility is not happening, they will be remembered as villains. It should be happening. We're doing here in the United States to help the American people. There was an odd moment on Thursday when President Trump at the briefing mused aloud about whether injecting UV light or disinfectant into the human body as a way to treat coronavirus could be something that you look into. You were sitting right there, as you know. Take a listen. And then I said, supposing you brought the light inside the body, you can, which you can do either through the skin or uh, in some other way. Then I see the disinfectant where it knocks it out in a minute. One minute, and is there a way we can do something like that uh, by injection inside or, or almost a cleaning? Because you see it gets on the lungs. Dr. Burks, I just want to give you the opportunity right now. What should the American people know about disinfectants and the human body? Well, first, that was a dialogue he was having between the DHS scientist and himself um, for information that he had received and he was discussing. Um, we have made it clear, and he, when he turned to me, I made it clear, and he understood that it was not as a treatment. And I think that kind of dialogue will happen. I think what got lost in there, which very is unfortunate, I think, in what happened next is... That study was critically important for the American people. And you say, why was that important? Because we had an MIT study just from a few weeks ago that, that suggests when people are talking and singing, aerosolized virus could be moving forward. What this study showed for the first time is that sunlight can impact that aerosol aerosolization outside. This, this is why we asked right. them to do it. We're trying to understand why people should be wearing masks. You're wearing masks because you could have asymptomatic infection and you will decrease so, your transmission to others. And I think the half-life and the sunlight is very important as we move forward to really understand how we can effectively create decontaminations in different environments. Yeah, no, I, look, I get it, and I understand the importance of that study that the DHS official was discussing uh, from uh, the lab in Maryland about the effect of sunlight on uh, 
having or even more effectively the, the, the life of coronavirus, the effect of disinfectants on non-porous solids like doorknobs. But that's not what the president was musing about. He was talking about ways to take that science and somehow turn it into injecting UV light or disinfectants into the human body, which, as you know, especially with disinfectants, can be lethal. And the CDC had to issue a statement. Lysol had to issue a statement. Um, I understand that you're taking a generous approach uh, to this when it comes to President Trump musing aloud. But this is potentially dangerous. I mean, poison control centers got calls from people and they had to issue statements saying, do not internally use disinfectants. As a doctor, doesn't that bother you that you have to even spend any time discussing this? Well, I think it bothers me that this is still in the news cycle because I think we're missing the bigger pieces of what we need to be doing as an American people to continue to protect one another. And we should be having that dialogue about asymptomatics. We should be having that dialogue about this unique clotting that we're seeing. And, you know, we're the first country that really had young people to this degree. Italy and Europe is about eight years older than us as a median age. So this is the first experience of this virus um, in an open society where we really can understand what's happening to every different age groups. These are the things that we should be talking about and focusing on. So I think as a as a scientist and a public health official and a researcher, sometimes I worry that we don't get the information to the American people that they need when we continue to bring up something that was from Thursday night. So I think I've answered that question. I think the president made it clear that physicians had to study this. I think I've made it clear that this was amusing, as you just as you described. But I want us to move on to be able to get information to the American people that can help them protect each other and also help them understand how devastating this virus is to different age group and different symptoms Mm. and different um, comorbidities. Well, I would agree with that. I I would. Completely unhinged New Yorker writer explains why Dr. Brinks is going to leave a horrible legacy. Uh, Dr. During press conference, Dr. Brinks has been helpful when it comes to forwarding the preferred narrative of Democrats and has caused some triggering. It hasn't been helpful, excuse me. New York staff writer Emily Nosboom isn't happy with Dr. Brinks. Dr. Brinks is going to leave a horrible legacy. It's one thing to be a clinic, a cynical paid fixer. It's worst, in my eyes, to be the expert who props up the mad king. I get that it's an emergency, and I understand the theoretical strategy you may think she's pursuing, but it's a moral horror. Listen to the doctors does have its exception, the article states. The left tells us we should trust medical experts, but they ignore the ones who say things they don't like. Josh Barrow. This deranged, this is deranged. Brinks isn't popping up, propping up anyone. This sort of comment is an extension of the end stage of the Trump presidency thinking. That if only more people acted like Jim Acosta, Trump would cease being president. Isn't that truth? Red states. Does any, everyone at the New Yorker have cat food for brains? What is going on over there? Brinks is half the reason 50% of the population in New York City isn't dead. So the hall monitors on CNN urging the Trump's daily coronavirus press meeting not be aired. Last time they were pissed, he didn't take question. The thinking is that professionals will watch and then tell you the relevant facts after it's over slanted to lefty bias. 
Jay Rosen is a professor of journalism at NYU, and he and other professors have penned an open letter to just about every news network except Fox. Jay Rosen, a group of professors, myself included, have written an open letter to the hands of ABC, CBS, NBC, MSNBC, and CNN, petitioning for the end of live coverage of any president briefing. They're still doing it. People's responses. I am a professor arguing for censorship because the masses are not as intelligent as I and therefore cannot discern facts for themselves. They must follow my edicts, not their own thought. Jay Rosen, pompous ass. Reporters wanting to petition for open censorship of the literal president is a shark I never thought I'd see jump. I I totally expected them to jump this. Professors are most damaging group in the country, even worse than corporate media. Do you and your colleagues encourage dialogue and debate in the classroom? I'm no Trumpist, but eliminating a point of view you disagree with from public consumption is as dangerous as only being willing to consider one idea. Groupthink is not the answer right now. Siri, why has American education become a laughingstock? Exhibit A, showing that journalism in the U.S. is an arm of the Democratic Party. Another one, la, 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 you can still hear the bad words and yell instead, la, 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 all better. (laughs) Yeah. So while CNN's doing this, James A. Galagiago. How we socially distance with the CNN HLN TV crew at my home when HLN Real Life Nightmares series needs a lot little law enforcement perspective for a particular episode. Hashtag long pants are overrated. So they had a whole crew at his house for a reality show. But remember, there's been over a thousand articles we should not open. We're all going to die if we open. Red states that are opening are pieces of shit. It's what liberals say. Here's the Atlanta mayor, because they brought her on for Cuomo's show to say that we should never open. Here, thank you very much. Thank you for having me again, Chris. First, how's the family? <laughs> we're we're uh, yet holding on. Um, we have a high school senior who uh, hopefully will graduate in some form or fashion very soon. I mean, this is hard on all of us. Um, especially those of us who are home with kids all day and people who are trying to put food on their tables. And even as I was watching the president today, I thought about my kids and the things I tell my kids multiple times a day. Be honest, be responsible. And somewhere along the way, it seems that our president just didn't get that message. And it is extremely frustrating as a mayor um watching where we are as a country, as I look at people standing in line for haircuts and to get their nails done, what we are essentially saying in Georgia is go bowling and we'll have a bed waiting on you. That's not what our approach should be to COVID-19. Well, that's why we're watching Georgia so closely, because hopefully, you know, God forbid you guys don't pay the price. Uh, of going early on the enthusiasm of what the president's been selling, that it's time to reopen. We're ready to go. Um, so you're in a tough spot. You put out a very powerful tweet today saying, if you get your nails done, uh, share these numbers um, with your manicurist about all the cases in the counties down around where you are. Uh, it's hard to be sideways on the gov- with the governor. You know, he sets the rule. The, you cannot change the rule. Uh, but you are telling people to stay home. Why take on this fight? 
So, Chris, it's interesting. Just before I came on with you, I was talking with my good friend Randall Woodfin, mayor of Birmingham, Alabama, and he is concerned uh, that Alabama in some form of fashion is headed in the same direction. And we were discussing just that. Um, what it is to be at odds with your governor. No mayor wants to be at odds with a governor. I'm sure your brother can attest to what that wrath can feel like. Um, so that should tell you how strongly I feel about this. And what I said to Randall is, you know, we can't sit by, and, and he agreed with this, while people die. And when you look at this, the impact of COVID-19, and especially the impact on African-American communities. I saw an article today on mm. how hard it is going to hit the South, um, primarily because of African-American communities, the health disparities, income disparities, and all these things that uh, compound the problem of this virus. We, we are, we're frustrated. Um, and all we have really right now are our voices to continue to push and hammer home to people to please stay home, being empathetic to people who need to go to work because they don't have food on their table. And that's why we need the federal government to do its part. Make it easy for people to put money in their pockets so that we can flatten the curve. Um, Madam Mayor, let's do something that's unpopular right now. Okay, Um, we can feel uh, a lot of eyes roll and the politics of race. Uh, coming up and people saying, oh, here they go again with the race card. Like, oh, yeah, people really want to target African-Americans. But here's the problem. It's not the argument, your argument, and the arguments of every um, major city with density and socioeconomic issues where you find African-Americans and other minority populations. Isn't that you're trying to hurt African-Americans and people of color. It's that by not paying attention to that population and what will happen with this particular policy, you are indirectly or directly arriving at the same place, which is you are making those populations that already suffer the most from the underlying conditions and the condition of poverty, you are putting more strain on them whether you mean to or not. Is that your reality? It is the reality, Chris, and, and, you know, there are layers to this, and I'm sure this is a conversation for the day when you talk about not having Medicaid expansion in many of the southern states and these pre-existing conditions because people are using emergency rooms as their primary care facilities. Therein lies the problem when we start talking about capacity of our hospitals on a good day. Grady Hospital in downtown Atlanta is near capacity because people are having strokes and they have diabetes and they have asthma like my four children have. And then you add on top of that COVID-19. And I think for us to continue down this path. So not only did we open up nail salons and hair salons and barbershops and tattoo parlors and all these other places. Now we're opening up restaurants and we're taking it even further. And who knows where we're going to be next week. And and as I listen to leaders in Atlanta, our business leaders and the health professionals, uh, people who have options, they all agree that it is too soon. And, and why that rational thinking is not transferred to our governor uh, really continues to baffle me. But we know why. You've got the bad argument. We're getting lucky that people are so educated.
and that this is not politics. This is not I'm going to play left or right because that's my team. Uh, this is getting sick. This is why people in my community lose the battle. Um, you know, this is scary. So people are using information as power in a way that usually pol- politics has a tendency to poison. And yet you still got the wrong side of the argument. I want to reopen. You're going to lose in your own house, <laughs> Madam Mayor. You know, people want to go out. If it's movie or no movie, risk show of hands, you lose. You know, who wants to go out and get some food? Who wants to go and hang out with their friends? You know, you've got the tough side of the argument. That's why the leadership is so important, because it's easy to give people what they want and not tell them that they're not going to have what they need once they get out there and are exposed. That's not easy to beat. You know, Chris, just a couple of days ago, uh, I overheard my husband who went into his office to to grab something, telling someone in his office, I really hate to have to go back home because he's sick of being inside of the house. My kids are sick of being inside of the house. We're all mm-hmm. we love each other, but we're sick of each other. So it's real. And, and we don't have compounded on top of that a concern about how we will pay our mortgage or how we will put food on our table. So I I get that whether it's because somebody is just antsy or somebody who has some real needs, people are ready to go about their day-to-day business. But for each day that we take five steps back, it's going to it's going to set us back even further. And we're not going to get to the light at the end of the tunnel if we keep turning around and walking backwards. And that's what we're doing in this state. And that's what I fear is about to happen in Alabama and across any number of states in this country. It's happening in Texas. And it, it, I'm, I'm not a scientist. I'm a lawyer. But I'm looking at the data. I'm looking at the numbers. I look at our 7 p.m. numbers today. We were up by 20, almost 25 percent in people testing positive, 28 percent in people dying. That's not a partisan conversation. That's not a racial conversation. Mm-hmm. Those are facts. Listen, one of the reasons uh, that we're worried and I keep coming back to you is because Georgia does not meet the threshold. Uh, you want two weeks of cases going down. You guys still have a rate of increase. Uh, you don't have the testing. You don't have the tracing where it's supposed to be. The governor has not done a good job at articulating his optimism. Um, but these, this is tricky, man. Good leadership. It's easy to give people what they want. It's hard to get people to do and to believe in what they don't want to do at the time. But, Madam Mayor, I, I respect uh, your political courage. And standing up against the tide, and we will remain a platform for you to deliver the reality of how it goes. Nobody's going to know today, tomorrow, this week, even next week, uh, how it is in your city and others in Georgia. It takes time for the results of this move to be made manifest, and we will be here for you when they are. Thank you. And, Chris, what I what I hope most of all is that in two weeks I come back and I'm able to tell you the governor made a brilliant move. I was completely wrong because, again, if he's wrong, uh, then I'm going to come back and I'm going to talk about the number of people who have died in our state. And that's not a conversation that I look forward to having. There is no advantage in sickness. Uh, everybody wants to be right. We just want to play uh, by what's rational. I understand your intentions, and I hope there is no ugly toll to tell. Take care, Madam Mayor. I'm here. We're a call away. To date, CNN, MSNBC, NBC, ABC, CBS, PBS, 
New York Times, WAPO. Nobody's had articles that, hey, it's, it's okay for these states without high cases to start easing back. Little did they say for my state, Tennessee, retail stores could have 50% capacity. Restaurants could have 50% capacity. Hair salons won't open up till May 30th here. For any spas. And our retail doesn't fully open until Friday. Monday was restaurants. Friday is retail spaces. But they still are wearing masks. They're still deconning stuff. They're expecting customers to wear masks. When we open up hair and spa salon type stuff, they'll have to issue masks to customers or they don't have them. So it's phasing in. And every case they're reporting for Georgia, Iowa, Kentucky, Tennessee. Those tests were last week. Of course you're going to have little jumps as the testing is going on. Part of the problem with a lot of the national testing is that unless you have a fever, they don't test you. What if you haven't? You're past your fever. You're past your incubation period. Yeah, until you get really sick, they're not going to see you. But instead of covering real things and putting out how the robots are really going to go and educating people instead of scaring them, we went on the Lysol still. Washington Post, Trump comments prompts doctors and Lysol to warn against the disinfected. Vox, don't do this. President Trump dangerous suggestion the coronavirus be treated with bleach. New York Times, Trump muses about light and remedy, but also disinfected, which is dangerous. At a briefing, they literally found two people that had consumed bleach. They ran out articles yesterday. People consume bleach. It's fucking Trump's fault. But the catch, they were also infected or uh, psychotic. They were in a fucking psych ward. But that didn't make the article to paragraph four. Yeah. Jim Acosta, White House has scraped today's coronavirus briefing, pulling it off the official schedule four days after Trump suggested Americans inject themselves as disinfected. This follows Trump's refusal to take questions at briefing Friday and no press conferences over the weekend. Trump suggests Americans inject themselves with disinfectant. A prime example of the deranged media lying as they have for years now. Why are we going to these daily press conferences? We need to boycott them. Some people. Stop saying that. It's a lie. And it's dangerous. The same people. He didn't suggest Americans ingest themselves with disinfectant. What he said was dumb, but at least reported honestly. He did not suggest Americans inject themselves at all. He suggested researchers look into it. Yes, it was stupid, but journalists that do this are just the other side of the coin of stupid. Acosta, you're a joke. Going to need the transcript where Trump told people to inject themselves with disinfectant. Also, what kind of disinfectant? Brand names, please. Let's not pretend you bothered to even listen or pay attention to anything being said unless you could take it completely out of context. You've lost your daily platform for visibility. Time to return to obscurity. Dear Diary, how can I hope to make today all about me if there isn't a televised press briefing? They were just standing on top trying to find some case. 
and then they ran with it just like fucking Arizona, and then they backed off because then they realized, oh my god, they were they were psychos. No real people took disinfectant, but it's still on our airwaves. And she's less of a doctor and more like a, uh, an elderly care nurse to this guy. Like he's running around the house in his pajamas yelling at the TV set. They're not getting to up out of bed until late. I don't know what he's, he's losing it. He's like the grandpa who walks out in the middle of the birthday party with his pants off. And then Dr. Burks's surrogate at the party has to say, oh, grandpa's just liberating himself. Isn't he funny? Like that. Uh, you know, it's it's scary uh, to to see what's going on in this country. Sonny, you think that uh, Dr. Burks is is uh, part of the problem? I do. I do think she's part of the problem, and it gives me no pleasure to say that. Uh, you know, if you watch uh, that interview with uh, Jake Tapper uh, in its uh, totality, she actually implied that the media was to blame for that story to still be in the news cycle. And um, I believe at this point, Dr. Burks is complicit in what's going on because uh, when there are times like this, uh, good people with integrity need to stand up and need to speak truth to power. Um, you can't be complicit in a time like this, Dr. Burks. At this point, she is losing um, her integrity. And I... Um, I'm really surprised and disappointed in Dr. Burks. Very, very disappointed. Well, I, I, I have to say that the reason that the story is still in the news is if you have little kids, you have to constantly explain to them, no, you cannot drink bleach. You cannot do this. You know, the last person that no. really even suggested anyone use bleach was a man called Dr. Mengele, and he did bad things to people. So we don't, we don't discuss bleach. Chinese minister, Mr. President is right. Some people do need to be injected with disinfectant or at least gargle with it. That way they won't spread the virus, lies, and hatred when talking. This is an actual Chinese Communist Party spokesman calling for Americans to die. On CNN Politics, Speaker Pelosi on Trump's China travel ban. Tens of thousands of people were still allowed in for China. It wasn't as if the description described as this great moment. If you're going to shut the door because you have an evaluation of an epidemic, epidemic, then shut the door. The entire world knows these were citizens of green heart card holders. It would be great for Jake Tapper asked her to clarify her position that Americans and legal residents should have been denied. This has totally been debunked. If he would have blocked these people... You would have gone crazy because at the same time he was doing this, you were passing a bill to stop it. But Jake Tapper didn't say that. Nor did they cover this. Hendrik Hertzberger, Jimmy Carter speechwriter. Time for a military coup. Yeah, that, that wasn't covered. Squad members now encouraging people to ignore health experts. Steve Guest. Rashida Tlaib encourages people to ignore coronavirus task force advice saying following, follow your gut. We all know that if Republicans said this, it would be a three-day story. Oh, I, I would push back no matter what these decisions and these other folks and these task force that are being put together. Uh, your gut feeling, follow that. Uh, it probably is much more um, uh, credible than what you might see coming out of various administrations. Yeah, that, that's not a problem. Because she's blue team. Do some generalized stuff. 
I want you to listen to this soundbite. This is kind of a compilation of the media. Do you ever hear Colorado? Nor riding out a pandemic in Georgia suddenly has options. You can go out to dinner and a movie. You can get a haircut, a workout, a tattoo. And if you're wondering, does any of that sound smart? Well, so are many Georgians. Any Georgia restaurant could reopen, from a breakfast chain to a local pizzeria. But few in Atlanta did, and most of their tables sat empty. Governor Brian Kemp's hungry to reverse Georgia's soaring unemployment. More than one million new claims in four weeks. But health experts worry impatience is the new pathogen for governors and consumers. Good evening, everyone. Ready or not, and with nearly a million confirmed COVID-19 cases in the U.S. since the start of this outbreak, parts of America are moving on tonight. The simple touchstones of life as we remember it, from shopping in a store to dining at a restaurant, rapidly returning in a country dividing over how far to go to halt the spread of the virus, which has claimed over 55,000 lives here. Also announcing they are lifting lockdowns, Iowa and Colorado, now joining eight other states starting to reopen. None have met recommended White House guidelines for a two-week decline in cases. Tonight, new moves to reopen while still facing many unknowns. Once again, New York City has a third of all cases. The state of New York. But we're talking about Georgia, Kentucky, Iowa. Yeah. They literally were carrying the suite. World should have listened to WHO, Director General Tedros, wagging his finger at everybody. The same people that covered for China's lies, the same people that said it didn't have human transmission. They didn't cover Ben Shapiro, story about police harassing elderly couple on a beach. A friend of mine took his family to the beach in Oxnard today. Yes, they were socially distancing about 30 feet away. The police proceeded to tell a 93-year-old couple sitting away from people on beach chairs that they could, couldn't sit on the sand, but not on a chair. Bad elderly couple sitting on chairs. Bad. Keep in mind, it may not be all that easy for a 93-year-old to sit in the sand, let alone get up. But, you know... They can't sit in chairs because that's not temporary enough. The reason, apparently, the police have been informed that it's okay to swim or walk or sit in a temporary fashion. But chairs represent permanence, even for 93-year-olds, because everyone is an idiot. All the people getting arrested for going to playgrounds that are empty and they arrest the mom in front of the kid. I mean... What the actual fuck? But they had plenty of time for more. Let's pin it on Trump, Republicans, Christians. It's what they do. There's no task force briefing this evening, but we will see the president. He'll be reading some sort of statement. And this is coming after the White House press secretary promised a quote unquote new look briefing. What do you make of this? Right. Well, don't forget. Well, Donald Trump has been criticized and become a punchline, quite frankly, after his uh, words about disinfectant and how perhaps uh, he suggested it could be ingested. Uh, Hydroxychloroquine has not panned out the way he wanted, and his poll numbers have been going down, and he's very well aware of that. And there are Republicans, I think, suggesting to him 
quietly and privately that perhaps this is not the best way to get his message across and that it is not helping him. So predictably, over the weekend, he tweeted, I don't need this. Who needs this? Hostile questions from the media. They're not getting anything out to the public. I'm not going to do this. I think the question we all have is, will he be able to stay away from the spotlight and will he give the spotlight to the people who should have the spotlight? The doctors. And that is the doctors. The doctors. And the question, the corollary there is, how, can, how are they able to handle Donald Trump in all of this? And we don't know the answer to that, Brooke. I mean, isn't the worry, and you point out in your piece about, you know, you talk about approval ratings and folks like Dr. Fauci, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and Trump knows he, he needs the doctors, <laughs> maybe yeah. begrudgingly. He uh, does. Do you worry that science at the moment is taking a back seat after the president was embarrassed last week? Well, I think he he's kind of done that. And I think you saw the reaction, particularly from Tony Fauci and every other uh, doctor in the country. And I think that the scientists are struggling right now. The doctors are struggling right now. How can we get our message across without having the president go on stage next to us and sort of make things up, extrapolate things he shouldn't, and then we all look at them for reaction and they're in a very tough, tough situation. I don't think they want that anymore. Mm -hmm. And I think lots of people who work with Donald Trump don't want that anymore. But imagine trying to tell the president, well, you can't go on stage and vamp. You can't yeah. go on stage and say whatever comes into just your head. Like, well, that's, just that's like Mick impossible. Jagger and the Stones, we know what the president right. still right. managed to do. <laughs> and of course, I just can't even believe people that, that used to be respectable, uh, that are now Trumpists actually trying to defend the president. Tamika, the thing though, he still has defenders. People who actually once, and I find this to be kind of funny actually, that people who once called themselves conservatives, mm -hmm. who once claimed to be conservatives, who once claimed to follow the teachings of people like William F. Buckley or follow the leadership style of Ronald Reagan. Yeah. These people are now defending Donald Trump at every turn. And what they do is when he humiliates himself, they just turn and they attack the press. And of course, they've done, they've done it. Again. Oh, why are you all even listening? Why? Because people could die because of his bad information. And what, what, what did some people in the press go? Oh, let's look at the media. Let's see how they respond to this. Looking at the media, when the President of the United States was talking like Mussolini, claiming he had total authority, total control, and they decided that was the time to see what people on cable news were saying or to see what people on talk radio were saying or seeing what people online were saying, it is such a dereliction of duty yeah. from people who, again, once claimed to be conservative, I, uh, William F. Buckley is rolling over in his grave. It's despicable. It's disgusting. Uh, these people that were once, quote, movement conservatives, so many of them have now just morphed into being a, nothing more than a Trump uh, a cult. You know, a lot of the president's pawns, whether they're in the media or whatever, will say, oh, it, you know, Joe and Mika are so upset. You know what? I, I, I want to point out something you said this weekend on your Instagram live. You would love to see the president.
be competent in this crisis. Unfortunately, I want him to succeed that's not what we're getting. Yeah. Um, and people are dying. So if you see a lot of emotion coming from this show, it's because we are frightened for the American people at this point. For the virus? President Trump also claiming a New York Times story about his schedule was inaccurate. Inaccurate, railing about whether or not he was having a hamburger and Diet Coke in his bedroom and quoting people that know him, saying he is the hardest working president in history. Me, 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 me. Not to mention an epic rant about, quote, Nobel Prizes for Russia, reporting he thinks that reporters should be given back. It's Nobel. Not Nobel, but anyways. Whatever. And then try, there's a whole lot there, but we'll, I'll just keep moving on. And then trying to use sarcasm again as an excuse, an excuse for something absolutely no one else is obsessing about in the middle of a pandemic that has killed more than 54,000 Americans. Doesn't even know the difference between Nobel and Nobel. And reporters don't really get Nobel prizes. Stable genius. How much longer is this going to go on? Now we move on to Biden. As stated, when Ronna McDaniel was the first to notice it, five hours of Sunday shows and not a single mention of new evidence corroborating sexual assault allegations against Joe Biden. What's worse, there was no question of Biden's VP wannabes, Gretchen Whitmer or Stacey Abrams. The media double standard for Democrat is unreal. If it weren't for double standards, they'd have none at all. This just sounds like a Biden ad campaign. And, and John Carl, it does seem that the president and his team are only beginning to come to grips with what this does mean uh, for his his reelection uh, prospects. They're dealing now with you know should the should the press briefings continued? That's one question. But basically, the entire rationale he had two months ago has has just been decimated by this coronavirus. Absolutely. The, he was running on the economy. And now what, the, what he's trying out is we built the greatest economy in history. Now we can build it again. But, George, uh, they're looking at the polling. And obviously, it's early to be talking about general election polling. Uh, but it's pretty devastating. Uh, Fox News had a new polling out that showed the president down significantly in Pennsylvania and even down in Florida. Uh, other polling has showed him down in all those other key battleground states uh, that he has, that, that he won last time around. He watches that more closely than anybody, um, and they're they're looking. You know, you saw, you saw some of the frustration come out earlier this week when he talked about how uh, the other guy, meaning Joe Biden, uh, the president said, is in his basement, not facing any uh, you know any questions. I think there's there's real frustration and real worry. Uh, on the part of the Trump team about this campaign. Because you're starting to see um, both Republicans and Democrats now on Capitol Hill talk about the possibility that the Senate, that the Republican Senate majority may actually be uh, something that can be challenged. Yeah, there's uh, certainly anxiety amongst Republicans that the president and the way that he is handling this is doing himself more harm than good and that that could trickle down and potentially uh, put Republican candidates at a huge risk. Look, I've talked to Republicans who fear that, that the two are intrinsically linked, that if you are a candidate who ties himself closely to the president, that you could be in some danger here. And we, the party seems to be acutely aware of that. 
Uh, Joe Biden mm-hmm. is conducting his campaign from his home in Delaware. Uh, he said in an interview something uh, a couple of days ago, quote, I think, talking about President Trump, he is going to try to kick back the election somehow, come up with some rationale why it mm-hmm. can't be held. Joe Biden suggesting there may not be an election in November. Is that a widely viewed uh, worry among Democrats? Uh, not a li- no. I, I wouldn't say I've heard that widely viewed. I think that it is more of a he wouldn't do that, would he? Type of question that you get, I think, from some on the left. I think this is one of those. You know, this used to be attributed to LBJ, Willie. Sometimes you say things and you're like, I don't know if it's true or not. Make your opponent deny it. This has mm. a, the whiff of what's the downside of, of the vice president saying it? It fires up the Democratic base, reminds them they need to show up and vote. And then it sort of force your opponent to say, oh, no, I'm not going to delay the election, which, of course, they'd like to get him on the record saying just that, Willie. You mentioned Vice President Biden. He, he suggested this week that President Trump might try to some way hold back the election, delay the election. I know he's concerned about that. Do you know why he's concerned? Uh, election day is set by Congress, not the president. Well, I think he's concerned because of what's been going on in uh, some of the states and how the president pushes some of these governors. And he's concerned because of what just happened in Wisconsin. So let's look at it. While President Trump was in the White House ordering a mail-in ballot to vote at home in the luxury of 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue in his slippers. I don't know if he had on slippers, but that's my image. People in Wisconsin are standing in garbage bags with masks on their face, getting off of work at hospitals, standing in line, having to choose between their health and their... This weekend marks one year since Joe Biden announced he was running for president, and a lot has changed. Without leaving the House, he's trying to win and choose a running mate. CBS's Ed O'Keefe reports that search starts this week. Joe Biden knows a thing or two about being number two. The next vice president. And knows exactly what he's looking for in a running mate. That they could be president. And the public look at that person and say she is capable of being president of the United States tomorrow. Biden's list is expected to include a mix of governors and lawmakers, many of whom aren't shying away from the speculation. If he asked you to be his running mate, would you say yes? Yes. I'm honored to be considered. My mission is to say out loud, if I'm asked the question, yes, I would be willing to serve. Biden says he plans to announce his choice by July. He's already facing significant pressure to pick a woman of color. Amy Allison, founder of She the People, a group that promotes minority women in politics, argues that Biden can win by picking a black woman and boosting minority turnout. We're back. A couple more phone calls on this very important topic. Our guests are former United States Senator Howard Baker, Richard Allen, former National Security Advisor, and Lois Romano of the Washington Post. San Luis Obispo, California. Hello. Yes, hello. Um, I'm wondering what... Um, uh a, a staffer uh, would do, do besides go to the press in Washington. My daughter has just left there uh, after working for a prominent senator and could not get through with her problems at all. And the only thing she could have done was go to the press, and she chose not to do it out of respect for him. Or she had a story to tell, but out of respect for the person she worked for, she didn't tell it. That's true. Well, now, but these are the people who do come to the Lois Romanos, right? The mm-hmm. staff worker who says, I want to let you know about what's going this on, either going with my on voice or the guy down the hall. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. a lot of these people have a sense of obligation. They feel that this public official should be accountable if it's something wrong. They're whistleblowers to the press. 
everybody's endorser now, Pramia Japal, one of the squad. Today I'm announcing my endorsement of Biden. VP Biden's a deeply dedicated public servant. I move by his compassion as a Congressional Progressive Caucus co-chair. I believe wholeheartedly that government can and must be a force for good, expanding access for health care, education, climate crisis, virtue single, virtue single, virtue single, intersectionality. I started this campaign for Bernie. Well, I not always agree with Biden. I'm ready to work with him consistently with the wealthy and well-connected over working family uh, or the candidate, implement the most progressive agenda of any candidate in history, consistently sided with the wealthy and well-connected over working families and regular Americans, fostered racism and xenophobia, and Trump administration has demonstratively repeated it most recently, disaster response to COVID, blah, 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 blah. It goes on for like 90 tweets, and it all sounds like this. We gotta beat Trump. People asked, why I didn't report is tragic and heartbreaking tale about how our society treats victims of violence. I see you, I believe you, and I vow to keep fighting for you. That was her Kavanaugh tweet. Everybody said, but not Tara Reid. Henry Rogers, in my inbox, Joe Biden to hold virtual woman's town hall. Same time. CNN Politics. Joe Biden's invisible campaign is winning. That was a political article they did this week. The party man. We're not doing our job, and it's working. CNN's visible campaign for Joe Biden. Analysis. We're not doing our job, and it's working. Just more proof he's mentally impaired, and they're hiding him. But CNN talks about it like they're employing some brilliant strategy. Not reporting on Biden baggage and paid dividends so far for the Democrats, and CNN seems proud of it. Pretty invisible if our oh-so-honest news media never, ever, ever, ever ask them about sexual misconduct or ask them to string two coherent sentences together. Bogus polls again. Hillary couldn't stand. Joe can't speak. JFK Democrats need to leave and reform the Democratic Party. By invisible, you mean by hiding Tara Reid's allegation. That that's that's it. That's it. And then you get the story of this week. The former a former neighbor of Joe Biden's accuser, Tara Reed, has come forward on the record to corroborate her sexual assault account. Says Reed discussed the allegation in nineteen nineties. Um, and the first source to corroborate Reed's account in detail on the record, Lacoste is a longtime Democrat and says she will still vote for Biden, but says this happened, and I know it did, because I remember talking about it. Now, two more sources have come forward to corroborate certain details of Reed's claim. One of them, former neighbor, has told Insider for the first time on the record that Reed's disclosed details about the alleged assault in her mid to her in the mid nineties. Michelle Goldberg, New York uh, New York Times. This is by far the most persuasive corroborating evidence that has come out so far. What a nightmare! Everybody goes, "What for Biden?" And it is, because the only article she's done on the subject, what to do with Tara Reid's allegation against Joe Biden. What to do. What do we do with it? Every single Democrat senator refused to acknowledge this allegation. The Daily Caller sent them out an email. They all ignored it. What you expect, because it's Daily Caller. None of them answered it. Three potential Biden runnermates 
appeared on the Sunday shows. None of them were asked. Once again, I want to hammer that home. Not a single question. When it was Republicans, they're always asked. Biden accused of terrorism, trash turn, actress turned Me Too activist Alyssa Milano for dismissing her claims and defending the former VP who she endorsed after a public outcry over Kavanaugh. She just rips her online. After one story, CNN abandons Tara Reid, never talked about it. But as Joe Jr., or Donald Trump Jr., sorry, Joe Jr., I don't know where they got from. Are you freaking kidding me with this bullshit already? CNN Larry King episode featuring Biden accuser mother disappears from Google Play. They're wiping it off the internet. It's gone. It's what they do every time. And what's the play now for media? Lewis Mensch. Can you, can Putin love and Tara Reid, can Bernie Sanders begin to comprehend what it means to grieving mother that Russian trolls inserted themselves in Ferguson? Yes, Russian influence. There was my scoop. I wish I were wrong. I wasn't. Here's WAPO's Eugene Scott. Tara Reid seems almost engineered in the lab to inspire skepticism and mainstream Democrats, both because her story keeps changing and because of bizarre public worship of Vladimir Putin. We already covered it. She was doing an article. She did one tweet. Glenn Greenwald. Reid seems to have or have had a strange obsession with Vladimir Putin and claims Joe Walsh, the nation, as a means of trashing her credibility. Chris Saliza. Joe Biden needs to address this directly. Hi, Chris. Just wondering if you might happen to know anyone, I mean anyone in the news media, who would be in a position to ask Joe directly. You know, like someone at CNN. Post-politics. Developments and allegations against Biden amplify efforts to question his behavior. That's the closest to what the fuck. Two sound bites. One, the only person that said anything, surprisingly, is Camelia Harris. And here is a Tucker segment on it. I believe them, and I I respect um, them being able to tell their story and having the courage to do it. Do you believe that the vice president should enter this race? Oh, he's going to have to make that decision for himself. I wouldn't tell him what to do. Now, another piece of corroborating evidence. One of Reed's former neighbors in California has come forward to say Reed told her about it at the time. Rich McHugh has been at the center of this story, one of the reporters covering it the most closely with the best sources. He's an investigative journalist and film producer. He joins us tonight. Rich, thanks so much for coming on. Linda Lacasse uh, was a neighbor of Tara Reed. Uh, back in 1995 and 1996 in Morro Bay, uh, I think it's Morro Bay, California. Uh, they were raising young kids. They lived catty corner from across each other. And um, she, uh, Tara uh, told her this, she says, Tara told her this story uh, pretty much verbatim of what we'd heard before uh, back then. She told me, you know, that she, she recalls Tara telling her about the assault, that she had worked for, for Senator Biden. And um, that, you know, it, it, all the details of the story matched up with what I had heard from others who were corroborating. I said, you know, do you have an axe to grind? Is there something about the timing of this trying to drill down? And Good she question. said, no, actually, I'm um, in fact, I'm an ardent Democrat, lifelong Democrat. 
And um, I, I still plan to vote for Joe Biden, but people need to, this needs to be heard because this happened. She said, I still plan to vote for Joe Biden, but she put her name on this. That's amazing. She did. I asked her if she has any reason to doubt the veracity of the claims. She said no, nothing. Tara's, I've never known Tara to be a liar in any part of her life. She's a good, honest person. She believed her at the time. She believes her now. She believed her when she came out. This is a woman who is a very credible, in my opinion, uh, lives a quiet, drama-free life and doesn't need this, but is doing it out of the goodness of her heart. They're never going to cover this. They're going to bury it, and it will not see the light of day. If there are any, like, virtual, I guarantee they're going to try to do virtual um, debates where Biden can get fed information probably from a journalist that will be directly next to him to give him the help he'll need because the guy's a fucking moron. I mean, Trump says some moronic fucking shit, but at least he could stand on his two feet and take questions and answer them. Even if it's not your response you want to hear, but this this won't see the light of day. Los Angeles Mayor Eric Garcetti accepts $5 million from Islamic State of Qatar. Between Newsom Chinese mass deal and Garrett's deal with Qatar, California nation-state foreign policy is a national security threat. Thanks to a $5 million donation of Qatar to the Mayor's Fund for Los Angeles, the lar- largest ever single donation to the fund, the Angelino Card Program, is being expanded. And what is that for? Illegals. People applying for fucking unemployment in California are being told the state's out of money, but they're going to hand $75 million out to illegal aliens this month. Yeah. Because they're more important than you Californians. Ex-top FBI official admits Hillary wasn't indicted because they thought she'd win in 2016. This is pretty fucking damning. Twice failed presidential candidate Hillary Clinton was indicted, wasn't, was not indicted when she mishandled classified information because the FBI believes she was going to win. That's a bombshell admission from former FBI general counsel James Baker, who revealed that FBI had enough evidence to charge and convict Clinton, but decide not to charge her. Baker said, had Clinton won the presidency in 2016, the FBI would have been forced to carry out a conviction before she was sworn into office. What a disaster that would have been. She wins the election, we go to the DOJ, and we recommend that they indict her before she becomes president, Baker said, describing how events would have unfolded should they have decided to proceed with the charges on her. That's not a good place for the country. That's not a good place for the FBI. From the report, FBI General Cloud Counsel James Baker had been told the FBI agents discovered between 600,000 and 1 million emails on Wiener's laptop relating to Clinton. The 2016 Democratic presidential nominee top aide Uma Abedin was married to Wiener, who had been investigated for sending illicit text to an underage girl. Baker, who left the FBI in 2018, told author David Rode that he felt like fates had thrown him a 100-mile-an-hour fastball. Baker believed it was likely the FBI would find new evidence of wrongdoing by Clinton in deep. The FBI, the CIA, and the Truth About America Deep State says... I thought, what is the best for law enforcement and judicial system? I said, I thought the director had an obligation to notify Congress. 
Director Comey agreed with my advice. Here's more from the Washington Examiner. The FBI conducted a criminal investigation during 2016 election, including the use of the server. In 2016, Comey was later fired by Trump, publicly recommended that no charge be brought against Clinton, but he chastised her as extremely careless. The FBI reopened the case 11 days before the election. Clinton has argued Comey handling the investigation was the reason why she lost. So the FBI admitted that Clinton was extremely careless with classified information that she sent received on a private email server, which was probably hacked and intercepted by American enemies. And according to Baker, she was not charged just because she was the soon-to-be president. Is that the rule of law? Also, NSC chief says John Brennan hid evidence Putin favored Hillary in 2016. Once Trump was elected, they buried that evidence and let the liberals and them who didn't want Trump to be president to run with Russian collusion. Yeah. So, let's go to a bumper, our first bumper. Going to play two skits from the stay-at-home SNL. They're going to be for a lighter fare, but we'll play now. And we'll go into news, social media nuggets. Hello everyone, I'm Dr. Keith Amaral from the Coronavirus Task Force. We know that not working is not easy. No American wants endless time to dedicate to their true passions. We're going to get you back to spending 40 hours a week with people you would never willingly hang out with. Coronavirus is a crisis. People spending time with their family and being fulfilled spiritually, we will not allow this chaos to continue. We're working around the clock to get you back where you belong, sitting in traffic. A long lunch break doesn't feel the same without your boss looking over your shoulder. That's not what freedom is about. We will cure this disease. Stay distant and stay healthy. Together we will get back to the life we know and love.
Trying to get crazy with this, see? Don't you know I'm local? Now it's time for news and social media nuggets. The crazy stuff that makes your host lose his mind. So we have been doing Military Corner, but I have a couple stories. One of them is the thermal goggles in the military. They have tweaked them so you can actually check if people have a fever. That's pretty fucking cool. Secondly, a new study came out. Soldiers and Marines die by suicide 50% more other often than sailors and airmen. And in this study... 325 active duty suicides in 2018. Soldiers, Marines took their own lives at 150% rate of sailors and airmen. The Marine Corps had the highest rate of suicide. 58 suicides represents 31 per 100,000. The Army had 139 suicides uh, for a rate of 30 per 100,000. The Navy had 68 suicides. 21 per thousand and Air Force had the lowest rate with 60 suicides under 19 per hundred thousand even though the article said that they were jumping about 44% of military suicides occurred and troops who had no documented mental health issues so uh, the army sadly still is doing it and once again that's just active duty we're not talking about veterans and that's where you get the high rate University of Utah promotes capitalism bashing event labeling Trump awful, racist, and disgusting. A town hall on the anti-Asian racism, uh, COVID-19, isolation capitalism, respond to hate, solidarity, know your neighbors, Trump's a piece of shit. Uh, sponsoring organization of the town hall on anti-Asian race, racism, struggle, and solidarity in a time of global pandemic included 18 million rising Asian Pacific American Labor Alliance, AFL-CIO, Asian Solidarity Collective, Can't Stop, Won't Stop Consulting, and University of Connecticut Asian and Asian American Studies. Professor Jason Oliver Chang of the University of Connecticut Asian and Asian American Studies Institute spoke about the yellow peril and the history of racism towards Asian Yellow Peril is a core feature of U.S. history rooted in the imperialism, exploitation, and capitalist warfare. Yellow Peril is a racial problem which shapes a narrative of war with the enemy within. See, this could have been college or everything's racist. 
White supremacists supported by GOP and Trump administration have interpreted this disease as a foreign attack. Congress has already considered motions to seek retribution for China for the disease. The racist response to COVID-19 pandemic is making it worse. And I am so sorry to crush your day, but let's be honest, you, uh, yeah. It's from China. What do you want us to do? Say it's not from China? Really? Two, gay shit. Hey, hey, hey. Bow, bow, bow. Little pump and cut. Hey. When viral symptoms underlie, there are home remedies to try. You find the one that works and snap, you're safe. And every product need your sink might be a medicine to drink. No need for tests, the president suggests. Right, and then I see the disinfectant, where it knocks it out in a minute, one minute. And is there a way we can do something like that uh, by injection? Spoonful of Clorox makes your temperature go down. Your temperature go down. Temperature go down. Just a spoonful of Clorox makes your temperature go down. It's the latest COVID craze. Supposing we hit the body with whether it's ultraviolet or just very powerful light. A politician who distracts has very little time for facts. The scientists he's hired are perplexed. While Dr. Burks is about to barf and hang herself with her own scarf, he diatribes and recklessly prescribes. Sounds, sounds interesting to me. That some pledge on your pancakes makes coronavirus pass. Coronavirus pass. If it gives you gas, try some bleach in your beer and shove a flashlight up your ass. Heal yourself with UV rays. Our president is no MP. He only plays one on TV. But a medical advice he's always for. A little in your cup will clear your sinuses right up. And quench your thirst unless it kills you first. Slap your mom with a swiffer till her temperature goes down. Her temperature goes down. Spray your boyfriend with Lysol till he's six feet underground. It's the latest movie Maybe you can, maybe you can't. I'm not a doctor. Since it's improbable, you'll win with your hydroxychloroquine. Splash some Windex in your wine and you'll resolve. And you won't likely get a pill from Dr. Oz or Dr. Phil. There's no, there's no vaccine. Vaccine. So try some Mr. Clean.
sounds interesting to me. Maybe you can, maybe you can't. I'm not a doctor. You're kidding. That's that Robbie weirdo fucking rainbow dude. Yeah, that's it's all over the gay websites. Uh, just uh, sums up everything I say. Amid a crisis, life in queer films must goes up, go on. With Donald Trump's bullying of Democratic governors, spewing incorrect facts, starting wrong conclusions, and trying to place the blame for all blood on his hands anywhere but where it belongs, I find myself angry and angrier. And he called it a hoax. He said to ingest bleach, but we need movies. That was the article. Everything on the left right now is going to have Trump in it 30, 40 times. Because they think that's what's going to make people read it. Omar Sharif Jr., COVID-19 has supercharged LGBTQ marginalization. Large article. No one in here does he actually make it look like uh, there's anything to marginalize. How are they being marginalized? Everybody in America's marginalized right now. You're in your fucking house. Sorry you couldn't get all the excitement and attention from your freaky-ass goddamn gay parades and pride festival. Our pride festival got canceled, and our local NBC affiliate said it with sadness. Then they said, uh, uh we are a sponsor of this. Oh, that's why you're upset. Because that was your time for virtue signaling. I got it. Yeah. Okay. Good for you. So, I... I all, most of these articles are just silly as fuck. Day of silence goes virtual but stays visible. A day to observe silence and eventual, eventually to break it. Maybe just what a lot of LGBTQ young people sheltering at home need. Some may not feel free to be their authentic selves at home. And even though who do those who do are likely feeling the loss of community they had at school with Gay Straight Alliance and other groups, says Soli Guzman, an organizer for GLSEN Day of Silence. Not having the community right now has been very difficult. So you only hang out with gay people. Maybe it's more about you than us. Lesbian Visibility Day, the exact time. So we had Gay Silence Day, and then we had Visibility Day. It was a time to defend, uplift, and strategize. Today on Lesbian Visibility Day, which I don't know how you're not visible, but okay. We want to uplift the lesbian, bisexual, and queer movement during doing groundbreaking work around the world. The COVID-19 pandemic underscores just how essential organiza- organizing, advocacy, and support divisions are. Because remember, we're letting them be marginalized. But the black people are dying more. But the gays aren't getting credit for dying more of the black people because we all just want to die more. We know there are two ongoing realities for LGBT, LGB, LBQ people, is how she says it. One, LBQ identified women and non-binary people lives are being threatened. Sorry, I had a double click. Every day around the world, no proof. We just said it, so it's so. Two, LG, LBQ identified women and non-binary activists are not only creating changes in their own lives, but are also building a new political reality that is inclusive, respectful, and safe for all oppressed and marginalized communities. You white people go fuck yourself. Cis people fuck yourself harder. Yeah. So they're totally marginalized, but glad live streams 250k for gay centers. But they're marginalized. They don't have any money. It's just horrible. LGBTQ people facing more economic hardship by coronavirus fallout. 
The survey was done with just gay people who all said, I ain't got no money. And somehow that's a real survey. That they are having it harder than you cis people who also don't have jobs and don't have money and don't have toilet paper. But you go on with your bad self. Everything is racist. Yeah, when they're not saying that all African Americans are dying, they're saying that we need to let them all out of prison. Just the black people. Nobody else. Brittany Cooper is an associate professor in Rutgers Department of Women, Genders, and Sexual Studies. She also, based on this thread of hers about COVID-19, a flaming race-obsessed nut job. These are her tweets. Uh, I feel like black people are clear that this utterly absurd to push to reopen the country is all about a gross necropolitical calculation that it is black people who are dying disproportionately from COVID. Not only do white conservatives not care about black life, but the most cynically negative read of the white supremacist among them is that they welcome this math, massive winnowing of black folks in order to slow demographic shifts and shore up political power. Earlier this week, I watched a white high school class of me defending Trump on his disinfected BS, and I realized again that for this, for his supporters, realizing just how wrongly they were about this man and the depths of the idiocy and depravity is akin to an existential crisis for them. They are literally willing to die for this clusterfuck COVID response rather than admit that absolutely anybody other than him would have been better president. And when whiteness has a death wish, we are all in serious problem. Black people did not vote for this dude in any appreciable numbers. Black men voted less for him, 15%. And they are dying the most. So you vote for Trump, you die. Black person deserves this and black women knew it would be absolutely awful for him to be president. And now we all live in daily fear. I'm saying some obvious things this morning because as a country we are too good at skipping over the audience. We might as well say this is to people as often as we can. Fuck each and every Trump supporter. You are abs- you absolutely did this. You are to blame. Black Lives Matter all over the place. Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter. Yeah. 
who hates people more? And why can't liberals write one article that doesn't say Trump in it? Soledad O'Brien, the biggest failure of the New York Times is in many ways is normalizing the abnormal. I'm pretty used to the access journalism of some of its reporters. Miss Williams's piece on a press secretary has no core beliefs, who lies easily and is chronically, and who's a racist is bad. No proof the person's racist. She just thinks she is. That's a real journalist. No wonder why she doesn't have a job anymore. Patriot's draft pick has right-wing paramilitary gang tattoo, but it's okay. So it went crazy, and then you get that fucking piece, Jamel Hill. Now, the teenager, Justin Rawwasser, has a symbol tattooed on his arm that has since been adopted by a white supremacist group. The former college place kicker was drafted by the Patriots over the weekend and said Saturday he does not associate with the group and he will cover up the controversial tattoo. Not good enough, says Jamel Hill, refusing to accept his denial of racism. In 2018, Hill tweeted her way out of the door at ESPN calling Trump and his supporters white supremacists and additional social media blunders. Since then, she's only written three articles all year for her current employer, The Atlantic. She has an ample time to use Twitter's or poison pen. She's not buying Ross Waller's line, according to Twitter comments. I don't know who needs to hear this, but covering up your white supremacist tattoo doesn't really matter if you still think like a white supremacist. For those scoring at home, a white supremacist found a job in the NFL, but Colin Kaepernick didn't. Patriot Kicker is a white supremacist. My bad. He tends to like white supremacist thing. Carry on. No proof. There's all sorts of shit that's been... The Gatson flag that never was for white supremacy. But okay. You go with your bad self. Manners and bad manners. Black Twitter calls out double standard in a white writer's disrespect of black influencers. You think that during a social pandemic that has united us all... And fears for our lives and livelihoods that folks might have better things to do than troll and be toxic on the internet. Oh, really? That's all the left does. In fact, many of us seemingly don't know what to do with all the extra time we have now on our hands due to the stay-at-home orders. And you know what they say about idle hands. But you know who else has time? Black Twitter. While we have long known this truth to be evident, British writer and editor Lyd Saville recently found out the hard way when she took to Twitter to announce her departure from Instagram. And because nobody asked, Saville made sure to blame her exodus on an idyllic-looking image of a woman in a sundress and a hat, social distancing from the world while enjoying a book on an apple atop an immaculately-styled picnic blanket replete with pillows and flowers. Don't know when I'll be back, but let it be known that this was an image that did it, Saville wrote, because once again, no one asked. Neo, there are thousands of white women running these cottage core Instagram pages and even more with retro vintage paintings in general. Many are even outright racist and misogynistic trandom accounts. But Lid Saval decided to single out and attack Hill House Vintage because she's a black woman. You were triggered. A black woman enjoying the life given gets under your skin your issues that you were conditioned to believe that a house like that, a garden like that, belongs to you and not her. You're supposed to be living for her life since she's beneath you somehow. But baby, welcome to the 21st century. This has been blowing me over since I found out about this. She's running a blog about the English countryside garden. It's literally all Paige is about. This is like getting mad at Vogue for posting a pictures of a couture dress. Trust the races to come out in full force. And everybody said, are you fucking deaf? Are you stupid? Yeah. And then she found people's replies. They're white. White people. White people bad. White people bad. Bad white people. Misha Kai 
is managing editor of Glow Up and your average Grammy-nominated goddess next door. Minneapolis-born, Chicago-bred, New York-built. Nuance is her superpower. Also, racism for white people. Jeff Goldblum slammed as anti-Muslim for asking if Islam is anti-homosexuality and anti-woman. He said, is there something in this religion that is anti-homosexual, anti-woman? Does that complicate the issue? I'm just raising it and thinking out loud and maybe stupid. In response, he was denounced an Islamophobic. This is the latest example of recurring phenomenon. Any criticism or questioning of Islam, you're crushed. But when you bash Christianity, you're brave. And Jeff Goldblum raises perfect valid questions. Can they not be asked at all? But then, what about the people who are victimized because of Islam's death penalty for homosexuals and institutionalized mistreatment of women? Do they get? They not matter? The Quran, this goes on to talk about the Quran and all that shit, but he was crushed online, and this shows all the things that said, hey, they throw gay people off a roof, you fucking dipshits. But once again... Blasio going after Jewish synagogues because they're saying, fuck you, we're still going to have service, and they can't handle it. They just fucking can't handle that they would not listen to them. The problem is, the entire fucking world saw that you allow Muslims to go to prayer. It's all over Twitter. So, you can't have it both ways, de Blasio. You're a fucking Christian bigot. Accept it. That's what you are. And then lastly, de Blasio points wife to head coronavirus racial inequity task force because she's a black lady. Could a conservative do that? Did you put your wife in charge of something? Yeah. Haven't done this in a while. Been kind of sl- slipping on the bumpers and music, but I got to bring back climate because this fucking shit cracked me up. Okay. Okay. How dare you? It's not all about energy. It's about raising awareness for climate change in schools and all over Charlotte. Because here's the thing. Changes can be made. This is the first step to radical action, and we need it to happen. How dare you? We will make sure they that we put them against the wall. You know, you you know you're a pollutant. Too much CO2. So we have to get rid of the babies. That's a big problem. Just stopping having babies is bad enough. We need to eat the babies. How dare you? My dearest river, you were conceived in a lighthouse, born into a pandemic, and will taste just enough of life as we know it to resent us when it's gone. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that we broke your sea and your sky, and that your mother was forced to give you your first kiss through a P-100 mask that smelled like smoke. 
But my boy, we were warned. Scientists told us if we weren't careful, we would unleash an invisible enemy out of the jungles and into our lungs. But we kept cutting down the jungles to devour everything inside. And when we realized those scientists were right, scared people emptied store shelves even faster than the jungles, and all the invisible enemy masks were gone just in time for your birth. You're not gonna believe what's going on out here. I was about to gulp and. Pay a soulless profiteer six hundred bucks for a fifty-cent mask when I remembered the one I used to protect my lungs from a fiery place called California. I keep it next to my hurricane waders and my bulletproof vest with a patch that says "press." And if I have to pack them and kiss you goodbye more often than you'd like, I'm sorry, but we were warned. Scientists told us. If we weren't careful, we would unleash a different kind of invisible enemy out of our factories and farms and homes and cars, and it would get into the sea and the sky and change life as we know it. But that was a story too few wanted to believe. Until now. So your first lesson will be that we are human, and humans are made of stories. And the great thing about stories is that they are always under revision. You were conceived in a lighthouse. So we will raise you with the soul of a lighthouse keeper, dependable, vigilant, with a reverence for the power of nature and a commitment to save as much life as possible. And I'll try to teach you how to write a better story, one that reminds everyone that every day is Earth Day. Fucking CNN. Well, that's not Bill World Weir, motherfucker, who ass fucked the show. It was a、uh, Border Live. And even in that, he was fucking talking about climate change and how that's a push for these poor migrants. And the show lasted three episodes and got rip, ripped off the air because everybody dogged the shit out of him. So, CNN reporter pens insane climate change letter to newborn son. CNN climate correspondent Bill Weir, like the, since there is that, I just want to laugh. Headline: To my son, born in the time of coronavirus and climate change, drip with propaganda, bashing the Bible and promoting climate extremists, Greta Thunberg. It was filled with content liberal outlets have used to promote the virus to push environmental environmentalist dribble. Weir also did a climate video that I played. Weir wrote in his newborn son William, "Against all odds, you were conceived in a lighthouse, born during a pandemic, and was take taste." And we'll taste just enough of life as we knew it to resent us when it's gone. I'm sorry. I'm sorry we broke your sea and your sky and you shortened the wings of the nightingale. Are you fucking shitting me? But oh, he wasn't done. We're continuing to groan. The milk in your bottle was warmed by dirty ancient fuels, and as a result, you will learn to walk on a planet that has never been this hot for humans. He told his son that scientists told us that if we weren't careful, humans would unleash an invisibility enemy out of the jungle into our lungs. But that was a story few wanted to hear. Weir even took his time to warn his sons. I could do violins back here, but I won't. Spell of the Bible. Apparently, the Weir scripture reinforced humanity's itch to cut down jungles and prairies and mangroves and the last few of the places where the wild things are to pray, pave, and plow, develop, and devour. As you get older, this would be hard to understand, but we were under the spell of Genesis 128 to take dominion over every living thing. 
And they don't get Trump in it, they bash a Christian. We had strange urge to carve straight lines out of nature's curves. We're under the spell of uniquely human force called profit motive. Weir was sure to inform his son of the difference between doing nothing on climate change and following the warning of science and doing everything possible to spare your generation maximum pain. Stranger still, Weir managed to fit in the nuttiest of segues to tell his son later, I hope you carry the same superpower as Greta Thunberg. The day I saw your face for the first time, I went from ultrasound to climate march led by Greta Thunberg. You'll be able to read volumes on how she was both canonized and demonized, but back then, she was just a girl the age of your sister, painfully shy. We met with, in, with that hand-painted jute, jute, Swedish, sorry, protest sign tucked under one thin arm, but she was curious enough to digest those warnings from scientists and honest enough to call out the arrogance, ignorance and ignorant arrogance of all grown-ups. Let's put it together. I'm not reading the whole thing. It's huge. Oh, Jesus Christ. It's huge. It's got a picture laying down, him with fires, birds. This thing is gigantic, man. It goes on forever. But Talking Points Memo doing the same thing. Employees are fighting for a new cause at work, the climate. Then they had an article, family forests are key to fighting climate change, but they need help. You know what needs help? You dipshits. Here's Chuck Todd. Silver linings again. We got silver linings. People are dying. We're all losing our jobs. We're all going to go fucking bankrupt. But the climate and shit. Next. And if we go to break, if there's a good thing about this economic crisis, it's been the clean air and views we haven't seen for a long time. You're the next contestant on Liberal Shit. What does he say? Come on, him, Captain Pistick. Oh, well. <laughs> Captain Pistick. He says. We're gonna have a baby. No. Yes. Big hairy Christ. Huge hairy Christ. Big beat the hairiest Christ in the world. We've made a baby. Well, no. We've made a collection of cells that have the potential to become a baby. Yeah. I mean, are you sure you want this? Because I, I realise it's mainly been me who's talked about having kids. Well, I bet I fucking want it. Because I am the one who is going to get sick and eat bad toast mm. and not sleep and, like, have tits the size of fucking space hoppers and then suffer the most horrific pain a human being can stand. It's another show talking about clumps of cells. Leftist groups outraged the coronavirus aid is not going to illegal immigrants. It's a list of, I mean, everybody is losing their shit. 
about us not handing our hard-earned money to people that aren't even fucking citizens. Parents! This, this is another theme on the left. It's okay you're barely getting by right now. In this time of coronavirus, keep your kids safe. Make them feel loved and feed them. That's all. But I thought you told me the nuclear family needs to go away. And we need to abort all kids. I mean, right now, that's the most important thing. Not finding a fucking uh, a shot that can save us because my brain just locked. You know, we don't need that. We don't need a cure for coronavirus. We need to abort babies. That's all. We've all seen the beautifully color-coded daily schedule making its way around social media right now. It's meant to help create, create structure for their children while schools around the country are closed to protect communities from the transmission of COVID, the disease caused by the new coronavirus. A Juliana Huff dance... Oh, I just double-tapped, sorry. Um, that cheery spreadsheet is also raising a snarky middle finger at those of us who don't already have pin interest board called Rainy Day Activities and Living Room Yoga. We're not the joiner dads, the super organized moms, the theme day, play day, planning parents. Our playrooms look like someone broke in while we were at work and dumped the Lego bin looking for diamonds. We don't meal plan unless Taco Tuesday and occasional McDonald's drive through surprise count as planning. And we're still working on using our inside voice when we're frustrated. We're anxious and lonely and terrified. And that's before the world turned upside down and we were absolutely sure that our cough was going to kill us. We were already stretched too thin, budgeting with narrow margins, treading water in individualized educational plan meetings and staff meetings and college application meetings. We were parenting with nothing left and now we're being asked to give everything we have to keep our children entertained and educated in our household. Those goddamn kids are so demanding. Pull this permission slip out of your kid's discard backpack and take a deep breath. Actually, wash your hands first. You have no idea where the backpack's there. It's okay to fly by the seat of your pants. Teach your ch- These are all headings. Teach your children how to listen to their own needs. Cut yourself some slack. A lot of slack. Remember that this is an infinite amount of time. Self-directed play will save your sanity. Make room for big feelings. Social media is not a measure of success. On the same site, I'm a parent making porn to make ends meet during COVID. (laughs) These fucking people. I've been a stripper for 11 years, one who merely dabbled in webcam and porn making until that is a coronavirus quarantine and shut down closed Oregon clubs. The pandemic took the world by surprise. Many workplaces shuttered indefinitely. And I, like many others outworked parents, found myself explaining to my child some things which would be different for a while. She won't be playing with her friends. Mommy won't be buying any more books and toys. In this COVID time, I rely entirely on digital work, such as live webcam solo and partner sex shows, selling fetish videos and sexting for tips. Co-parenting gives me time to shoot porn when she's at her dad's house. But the juggle is real when I'm answering emails and sexting for tips long in the night after tucking my kids to bed. Sometimes I'm able to send pics and chat with customers in the tub while she reads from her room. When she's older, I'll explain to her I worked with people's bodies and gentles and that I've been paid for sex and that I've earned money for having conversations and filming myself masturbating or stepping on a cigarette. I'll explain to her that some of this work was legal and some of it was not. Looking at porn can have positive effects for creativity, for body image, for validating sexual identity, and for normalizing activities that people enjoy. Meanwhile, 
Professional sex educators and major porn platforms are recommending that people have digital and screen sex to flatten the curve. Millions of Americans are out of work. Many are scrambling to pay their money. Trump's bad. So I jerk off on camera. Yeah. These fucking people. So we have the Korean chick gonna take over thing. Here's a flashback of Kim Jong-un's sister. Kim Jong-un may not be about to reunite with his half-brother and uncles and numerous North Korean officials. He's dispatched off in a speck of fashion from his service or other years. Dear leader is a bad ticker or something. The speculation is younger sister, blah, 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 blah. Let's get to it. An article, uh, CNN led the cis swoon with an article calling her North Korea's Ivanka Trump. But they weren't swooning. They were basically saying she's evil. Another CNN piece to declare North Korea is winning the Olympics is not because of sports, it's because of her. The Daily Beast, Donald Kirk squealed, North Korea is stealing the thunder, if not the show from the Americas at Papang Yang Yang Chong Chong Chong. Reuters was starstruck. New York Times liked her sphinx-like smile. The media all thought she was the shit, even though she killed people. Tom de Azoria, whatever the fuck his name is. North Korea is going to have a woman leader before the United States of America. Let that sink in. That is all over Twitter. All over Twitter. It's fucking everywhere. I can't believe this is happening. They're better than us. Yeah. Then to this, hypothesis, sarcasm hat. The more you all people snowflakes, the more you call people snowflakes, the more likely is you are incensed at butter right now. And he was dogging a woman, conservative. Land Lakes can kiss this butter buyer's ass. My family's been a Land Lake family since I can remember. No more. I'm fine with the store brand from here on out. Your virtue signaling lost you some good customers who are always willing to pay more for your products. Buh, buy, LOL. So he decided to dog this woman and say she was the snowflake. And then the world came in. Screen capping someone who protected their account to escape the guaranteed Native American Free 99 policy white. Ha- our harass hole meant of faux outrage progs is an asshole move, Pope Hat. If you're the decent and fair-minded person I long followed you as, you'll delete this tweet. Hypothesis. There are more your screenshot people like a coward than more likely is that your vagina is overflowing with sand. Hypothesis. Incest of butter and not buying a specific brand of butter that just bent to the outrage mob aren't really the same thing, you know. But hey, clicks. The cat. I notice a lot of accounts with thousands of followers tend to do that. I always thought it was cowardly. Another one. America saying shit like my family's always been in a land of lake butter is so fucking LMAO. And it is kind of silly. But, once again, folks, this, this is your world. This is the word, world you're in. If you're gonna play the game, you gotta push back. Now, I, I've stopped caring. I don't use Gillette anymore. You can call me a snowflake, but you know what? I'm going to play the game like the rest of the motherfuckers. They, the, the fucking cancel mob just cancels everybody out, shuts them down. If you don't do the same, we will always lose the culture war. It's just simple as that. I've said it on the show. I never ate a lot of Chick-fil-A until they attacked Chick-fil-A. 
And then I found out, motherfuck, that's some good chicken. Max Boot, how did America come to have a president who thinks the mainlining disinfectants might be an effective remedy against coronavirus? And searching for the origins of our current madness, you could start by watching Miss America on Hulu. This is a dog on the lady who was against the ERA, and they have taken it from just she was a bad person. She was harassed and physically assaulted by libs back in the day and turned it into every fucking thing they can talk about. It's just a mess. I could play a soundbite. I won't. My father is a former inmate. Stop comparing quarantine to prison. That was on TPM. A whole thing. Offended now because people are saying it. The coronavirus reveals everything that's wrong with work in America. Coronavirus shows everything is wrong in America. And that was all from Talking Points Memo. If you don't know what that is, that's the lib libel. That's like going to fucking Drudge Report back in the day when it was conservative. No wonder they all say this. To our lighter fare, what are we going to play today? I got a bunch of lighter fare sound bites. Let's see. Let's go with Be My Wooby, Matt X, Matt Best, 11X. It's a classic. I love it. myself out there for y'all but sometimes when you find that special someone you gotta let them know let me get this straight no replacing you it's true this love got me scared cause i'm calling you boo i think about the future and i think about the past everything we've been through yeah you you still last i'll never let you go forever hold you tight when you're in my arms girl you make it all right i don't need no drugs cause i couldn't get higher i just need the warm embrace of my poncho line cause you'll be you'll be my will be will be And chill. I can't explain, but shh, you're my rock. Turn down the lights and you can be my happy sock. I guess what I'm saying is that I'm just blessed. I'll protect you from the world, even CIS. Come on, marry the strippers. You still love me. Had an STD, still love me. Deployed and you did You still love me. Love me. Destiny, yeah. 
excited when we talk about woobies. Did you just really make a whole song about a stupid blanket? A stupid blanket? I've had this thing for 15 years. You know, some people just never get it. On three? Cool. What's up, guys? If you like the song, go check it out. It's on iTunes, Spotify, everything. Time meow. Also, if you like any of the shirts you saw in the video, uh, make sure you go to art15clothing.com. we got a bunch of new designs up there as well. And this week is the theatrical release of Range 15, so make sure you check that out at range15.com. Get your tickets. Last but not least, Black Rifle Coffee. Thank you for supporting this video and making it possible. If you check out their store and type in Whoopi, you'll get 15% off the whole entire store. It's a lot of goodies there. Um, thanks, and we'll, we'll see you next time. Let's be in a Whoopi cave, Remy! Oh, a classic. To other lighter fare, <clears throat> Ralph Northam has made a name for himself during these unprecedented times between his lengthy stay-at-home order June fucking 10th and continue pushing back of opening essential business like salons, gyms, without much data to show for it. He's not exactly winning over a lot of Virginians. Funny how people start pushing back when you take away their livelihood and their children's education for what looks more like political reasons. Northam, all Virginians need to continue taking action to keep themselves and others safe. Stay home. Only leave the house for essential needs like groceries or prescriptions. Cover your face in public. Stay six feet away from others. Avoid gatherings of more than the entire world. And these can't all be conservatives. How excited are you that you can finally wear your hood? <laughs> I'm sorry. Mask in public. Cover your face like with a hood? <laughs> Cover your face in public. That didn't work out too well for you, did it, coon man? <laughs> Then CNN got crushed, and it's not really funny because they do this on purpose. Don't think this was an accident. This wasn't an accident. They put this number up on purpose. They do things like this to scare their base and keep moving forward the goalpost for liberals that we never open until Biden's elected. And then we start criticizing Trump because he did close down the economy. Global death toll approaches 3 million people. That's actually not true. Not even close to 3 million people have died from it. But, you know, what are you going to do? You just make it up. Then our This Is America, it's kind of a double whammy for me because this is really what this is all about. Um, my podcast, The Disrespect of Anybody But... You know, um, liberals and the just disdain the media and liberals have for our military. This is going to sound like a positive soundbite because I can't get the whole flight. Uh, it's all silent. They filmed it, but all you hear is wind. Well, the Thunderbirds and Blue Angels flew over New York City last night. And I'm just using one person's reply and the people like him on him that replied to him. And this sums up progressives. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. It's time for the last sound bite. Like the media say when they are pushing. Fake. 
liberal agenda stories. And this is America in 2019. Now, once again, because they all watch CNN and MSNBC, they don't realize this isn't costing the American taxpayers anything. They would regularly be flying all over the fucking country doing shows. They do air shows during this time of year, but all the air shows are canceled and they have to keep up their flight hours. So I don't know who came up with it. It really doesn't fucking matter. They decided to do these flyovers. Mine is May 8th um, in Nashville. And it was to recognize our frontline people, the nurses and doctors. And you heard nurses in a Harlem hospital cheering they get it but what did the resistance do brooklyn dad defiant it is it's it's is it is is what he meant beyond obscene to watch the blue angels fly overhead frontline healthcare workers how much did that flyover cost could have used that money to get them some much-needed PPE instead. Hashtag priorities. Now, I do it as this, this is America. A, they hate the military. B, this is built on the lies that there was no PPE, that nobody had PPE. The fake videos that they never really recanted of people who were just lying. The garbage bag videos. Every liberal person, everybody on CNN and MSNBC saying there's nothing because Trump didn't do it. Even though he wasn't the president, it was supposed to be done over Obama. Ventilators lie. Everything's just been a lie. They've been playing politics with this. So these people are what people at Fox are supposed to be, right? Everybody at Fox is supposed to be dying more. Red State's supposed to have more dead fucking people because Fox was lying to them. They actually did articles that Hannity and Fox killed people. We're suing Fox. We're taking Trump to the Hague. All the things. I didn't forget this. What the fuck is that? This is a liberal... Who only watches CNN, MSNBC, and reads the New York Times and WAPO. That's pretty fucking uneducated. Well, it's just not him. I've heard that they need the flying hours for training or are routed to serve a purpose. The air show normally held were canceled. One person said. Everybody attacked him. Mission accomplished. Remember, Obama did it. And it wasn't accomplished, but we never said that was wrong when he came out and said he personally went into fucking Pakistan and double-tapped Osama bin Laden. Do you remember that? And then the war went to shit again, right? Donald Trump's flyover's Grim Reaper picture was with it. Absolutely. I guess we better be thankful he didn't give him, them, himself, a military parade, because you can't do a military parade for the military. Fuck those motherfuckers. He'd probably check into it, though, 
Flashy, I sure appreciate this empty gesture more than I would competent leadership. Everything is always the wrong choice. Exactly. Trump is all show, no action. You seem to have forgotten nobody will get PPE unless it's intercepted, sold to a third party, and then sold back to states. Yeah, it's one carnival at the next. I hate the feeling of losing myself in this mess, led by a moron. When your only tool is a hammer, all your problems start to look like nails. We have exactly one tool in our toolbox military. We don't know how to do anything else. That's why our country's dying. We don't understand any other threat than scary men with guns. Trump feels that you can wear patriotism like a protective blanket. How dare they fly over? We pay for those planes and all they've done is killed innocents. And then I stopped copying. CNN. A formation of angels and thunderbirds will honor first responders by flying over New York, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania. The U.S. military's elite flying team will fly over New York City, New Hampshire, blah, blah, blah. Incredibly honored, blah, blah, blah. Thank you for all those essential leaders, blah, blah, blah. Coordinated flyover will begin in Newark and New York City around noon. will last 35 minutes to before moving on to Trenton. Residents are encouraged to watch a flyover from the yards or porches to avoid gathers and group. The mission is one of many multi-city flyovers both the demonstration teams will conduct and the next two weeks in the area of country hit hardest by corona. The military is calling the collaborative salute America strong. We're truly excited to take to the skies with our Navy counterparts for nationwide tribute to the men and women keeping our community safe, said somebody from the Thunderbirds. We hope to give Americans a touching display of American resolve that honors those serving on the front line of our fight with COVID. The Thunderbirds will also flew over Las Vegas and Colorado to celebrate healthcare workers and essential workers there in early April. Not one statement on this didn't cost money. <clears throat> this is not an excess. They needed to do it because they need the flight hours and it's the same amount of money as an air show that they would be doing hundreds of and they're only doing a few. Yeah. That, that's, that's what the media does. They don't put out the real info when you have people freaking the fuck out. So, before we do some COVID death analysis that's pretty intricate or pretty extensive here, I found this this morning while I was taking my morning constitution. This is another knock on the media. If this was a reversal, it was a liberal being harassed or a conservative being trashed by a liberal, this lady would be a hero. She's a young girl. She's not wearing Trump stuff. And she took... This motherfucker down. And our media ignored it. So you called for the nearly unprecedented step of impeachment. And at first you gave no reason. I read every single week. And then when you were pressed, you were reason. And you came up with things like questions of firings that never happened. Recusal reversals that never happened. No other recusal. And then claims about obstructness, which I know you discussed it before, but you have to have intent. So you have to prove knew that he was guilty of a crime, knowingly tried to obstruct justice based on, okay? You don't have that. You don't have proof of corrupt intent. You don't. That's, that's not what the and you also, said. you further know that impeachment would tear you apart if it went through and he was removed from office. Political people in this country, people in this generation seen before possible civil war. You say, no, yes, you are savage that that will not happen, that he won't be from office. So you get to make the political gridding that raises your national profile. You are now a household name. That's called political cap, and you are hoping to launch your star bigger than District 3. You just talked about better in District 3 than Trump. Do you want to talk about how election? 
you got the least amount of support they have because you haven't supported the MAGA agenda. Now, they could do so, but it, it's your support whatever you want, but you also know future in this, in this district because of that Republican. So you want to go bigger? And I have my final thing, my question, why did you talk nothing about the FISA abuse? I care about the Constitution so much. Why didn't you say about the year-long violation of the fortunes of Trump and his entire transition team? Every phone call, every email, every conversation for a year was on and recorded. It had no knowledge. And you are laughing. You are laughing. You are long spying on an entire people. Fourth Amendment violated. You didn't speak about it once. You didn't speak about the FISA, which is currently under investigation. And you you called Agent A.G. Barra without any proof. One Latina lady takes down and curses and harasses Jeff Flake, turns Jeff Flake into a liberal. We heard about everything about her, her family, her heritage. This lady, who's white, sorry about that, nothing. You never heard that soundbite. And there's probably thousands out there you won't see, but, you know, it's what we are. To our last story, every day the media is more than happy to report about how many new deaths from the coronavirus have been reported, sort of like what they did with W with lost troops. If it bleeds, it leads, especially if you can blame the bleeding on a Republican. Justin Hart has been putting together some fairly phenomenal threads about the data that's actually being used to keep far too many states and ultimately people locked down. This time he tracked... He tra- tackled, excuse me, the notion of excess deaths, Justin Hart. So lots of people think in WAPO and FT articles claiming that they see a lot of excess deaths before the COVID-19 deaths came. These aren't excess deaths. They are the deaths. You're comparing screen cap data to real death rates. Here's the data. U.S., all deaths, 280,016. Excess deaths, 15,4. New York City, 9 Three and then it's broken down to liberal cities. I'm thinking to myself, I know the NCHS CDC data pretty well. What are they talking about? Over the past several months, I'm screaming at the top of my lungs, the data you see on popular dashboards is not the real data. The scandal behind all the shutdown nonsense is very simple, a very disastrous misunderstanding about dates. The dates on which new COVID-19 cases and deaths are reported are not the dates on which the infection took and not the dates on which they died. So if I pull down the same data to look at and it's changed since Friday, I can rope off things from March to April 4th like they do. Here's what I show for national. Jesus, it's less. 2019 deaths, total deaths. 288,089. 2020 total deaths, 272,602. 2018 total deaths, 280. 2017, 284. 2016, 274. 2015, 271. 57, 20, uh, 257 for 14 and 263 for 13. So yeah, it does look like there's about 15k more deaths than recent years. But it's like a 6% difference in either direction, which is well within the crazy bounds of domain commands and all the data lags. And then it hits me. These guys are comparing dashboard data to the CDC data. The dashboard compares column of total and the CDC network is picking up on actual deaths. 
Remember our discussion this morning on Colorado deaths. I could be wrong, but I think these guys are looking at dashboard data from NYC, which shows a streak of days with 500-plus deaths from the second and third week of April. Sure enough, look at the mini-graph from WAPO article. They're flummoxed with the deaths they are seeing at the beginning of April, only here's what they're missing. That when NYC peaked, and we know this because NYC is one of the few GOs which publishes deaths by actual death dates, In short, we have professional researchers using death dates based on screen scrape data from dashboards with cumulative death totals and comparing it to CDC data, which has measured actually COVID deaths and actual deaths. But no, they're not picking up excess deaths. They're picking up the actual coded deaths only, not where they expect them to be. So basically, they're, they're, once again, what we've been talking about on the show, every death They're calling a COVID death. But our amount of deaths from January to April of 2020 are less total deaths from flu and other things than 2019. Because once again, the number, and let's see if it's changed since uh, we started this podcast... So now the official numbers at end is 1,040,233, deaths, 143,000 recovered. New York had 330 more deaths, and now they're up to 301,450. If I once again just add up blue states, it's over three quarters of deaths, it's over three quarters of total cases. Tennessee has stayed the same. 10,000 cases. We're going up because of the data, but we're still the 19th state. Oregon is 2,300 now. South Dakota, 2,300, and they never locked down. And the new uh, hate of the media, let's find Kentucky. Uh, Kentucky... 4,300 deaths, or 4,300 cases. Iowa. Because look for it this week. You'll see articles. They're talking about Iowa who wouldn't lock down. And I can't fucking find out. There it is. 6,800 cases. They got 467. They've only had 136 deaths. But when you're counting every death, flu, etc., and if... As we learned in our last podcast, if we're saying that a person was days away from dying, but they got diagnosed with COVID, you're going to count that as a COVID death. Um, that's not how it works. But once again, it's money and it's a simple fact. They need the economy to be fucked as long as possible so they can blame Trump. It's a concerted effort. And I would I would challenge anybody to say it's not. Because Virginia is not a hot zone. But they're not going to open till June 10th. And I will bet you as sure as I'm a fat, balding, middle-aged man, they'll extend it again. If they have any spikes, they'll extend it. Because they're trying to drag their feet. Plus, 
Liberal governors are really enjoying the power. Man, they got some fascist shit going on. Suspending gun sales. I mean, you name it. They've done it. So, this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Please feel free to share this with family and friends and send comments to F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. FOP podcast gmail.com you can get this show on soundcloud pockets attic tune in radio google play itunes blueberry stitcher and pocket cast remember to check out our facebook page at fop podcast and our twitter page at fop tony reed our next show is going to be um five or sorry fourth yeah we'll go with the fourth or fifth of may year of our lord 2020 monday or tuesday Gonna take kind of a weekend off. Hopefully we can clear it and get a couple new subjects because I, like you, I'm sick of fucking COVID lockdown and he said this. Jesus Christ. Make sure you enjoy your family. Disconnect from all your devices. Give some time each day for your family. And I hope you all stay safe and healthy. As always, thanks for listening and take care. Thank you for listening to Flyover Politic Podcast. Please check out our Facebook page at FOP Podcast and Twitter account at FOP Tony Reed. Remember, it's a short ride. Makes every day count. Thank you.